The Loose Cannons podcast is a free-form discussion about film that contains mature language, such as poop and titty, and descriptions of mature situations, such as filing taxes and raising children. We do not have any concern for spoilers, so if you haven't seen the film or films we are discussing and don't want to have the twists ruined for you, please watch the film before listening to the podcast. Tonight, I want to talk to you about violence in our cities and justice for our citizens. Two big issues that have collided on the streets of Los Angeles. Okay, I warned you, one drip and you're out. Oh, come on! Out now! It's gonna melt outside! It's melting inside, too. But, Bobby... Out? Thank you very much! You're not welcome! So we made this oath. Whoever died first would send the other a sign. A sign? From, from the afterlife? Hey everyone, it's finally here, the last 2017 end of the year <laughs> podcast coming at you. Today we'll be doing our good awards, we'll be celebrating our peak performances. This is what peak performance looks like. Mm. <laughs> As well as technical <laughs> achievement, and of course our number one movies of the year. If you were keeping track uh, on the last podcast, you know at least three of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just three more hours, people. Might be a mystery. Mm. But before we do that, let's do this. It's a little segment we like to call Basil Reads What Other People Submitted to Our Podcast. <laughs> Classic oh, segment. Yeah. We don't, we don't have a uh, theme song for this yet. I know. <laughs> wow. That was perfect. That sounds suspiciously familiar to another theme song. <laughs> First go. Who knew? Life is like a hurricane. <laughs> when Basil reads. <laughs> Not untrue. <laughs> Favorite movies from Phil and Dan. Here when Basil reads. <laughs> wow. As I did before, I can't remember the list, uh, I mean the order that I went in, but I'll start with people who haven't... Uh, I remember Dan was first and Twyla was last. <laughs> yep. Uh, From Dan yeah, to Yeah, officially Dwyla. participated yet, but we would like them to in the future, and then we'll move on to people who have been official guests. And uh, da, 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 da. yeah, so starting with um, Dan, he uh, did the same thing with his good ones as he did. Not so good, so. Uh, funny categories with um, <laughs> a little bit of commentary. 
first one is movies everyone loved, and I'm no exception. <laughs> and that was Get Out and Good Time. So, hmm. uh, he says he saw Get Out a million years after everyone else, uh, assuming there was no way it could surprise me or live up to the hype in the wake of a million hot takes. <laughs> but it did both. Uh, I was especially impressed by how well it understood genre cinema uh, and how well suited a straightforward horror approach was to its critique of race relations. Uh, also found the fact that this found near universal critical plays and big bucks at the box office uh, suggests we're living in a time when the average viewer can have an unusually sophisticated relationship to the horror genre. I feel a little ambivalent about that statement, but it's nice and optimistic. Like <laughs> uh, good addendum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, good Time is probably the first movie I've seen where the directors were clearly inspired to some degree by Harmony Corinne mm. and came up with something non-obnoxious. I was on board for the first half of that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Taking shots at Harmony Corinne. Uh, yeah, never a wise. Uh, actually, never mind. He's not. I, I just he, remembered. He's he's a big gum. Uh, he likes gum it. Supporter yeah. and yeah. defender. I think general, he's so. he's taking yeah, shots at I, people who are influenced by Harmony. Corinne. Yeah, he also yeah, likes Mister Lonely. I think a lot. So. Oh. He's been acquitted. Yep. Well. Sorry, I misspoke, Dan. If you're listening, I didn't mean to throw you under the bus as a <laughs> Corinne supporter. Uh, and then his next uh, category is actor who had a great year, and that's Lake Heath Stanfield. And uh, no commentary there. Uh, <laughs> most welcome career revival was Jennifer Jason Lee. Sure. Uh, yeah. And then movie I'm most looking forward to in 2018, which is High Life, which is a good pick. Mm. Claire Denis oh. and wow. Sadie Smith. And yeah. Robert Pattinson and Julia Binoche. Science fiction. Seems here for it. Solid. It's in my top three I'm most looking forward to. Yeah. He also referenced someone that I don't know who that is, which is Olafar Ilyasson. Mm. Mm. Has a reason to be excited, but I don't know who that is. Not so ringing any bells excited. over here. Guess, guess we'll find out. Ooh. Way to out nerd this podcast. Of course. <laughs> And then uh, Phil's coming next. He didn't submit a full uh, top ten, but he submitted a top seven, which was uh, uh, number seven, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, uh, number six, Let It Fall, number five, Get Out, number four, Lady Bird, mm. uh, number three, Personal Shopper, number two, Nocturama, and number one was Good Time. Yay, Good Time. Yeah, Yay. Yeah, Let It Fall is the only one on that list that I still need to check out. Likewise. Yeah, I still haven't seen that one either. Hmm. It's 2018, uh, bros. I'm not seeing another 2017 <laughs> movie ever for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's, that's a that's, very good that, point. I, I need to complete <laughs> Those days my, are over. <laughs> I need to it's complete my documentaries about the LA uprising in 1992. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I need to... <laughs> so many of them. Um, and then, uh, coming up next, go with Hannah. She submitted a full top ten. Uh, although, 
little iffy on some of them, but we'll get into that. Uh, uh, her number 10 is Thelma. Her number 9 is Get Out. Uh, her number 8 is, in parentheses, Mark Duplass's dick in Creep 2. Intriguing. <laughs> yeah. uh, Where you had a pick. Uh, and uh, his or her number seven is I'm assuming a TV show Vice Principals never heard of it but it says season it's two the, so uh, I'm guessing that's a show it's the uh, it is. Danny McBride uh, uh, show the follow up to Eastbound and Down oh yeah yeah, yeah well wow. <laughs> okay listeners already know how i feel about mcbride so it makes sense that i haven't seen <laughs> oh no you calling out mcbride he, he calls him out on the last one he's or, been calling out mcbride earlier. not the last one yeah. but i guess three episodes ago wow <laughs> shame and then uh uh her number six is a cure for wellness hmm. her number five is sleep has her house Mm. Uh, her number four is The Lure. Her number mm. three is Personal Shopper. Her number two is Twin Peaks The Return. Also, boo that. Okay. <laughs> uh, More TV. And then, yep. It's almost like TV is the new movies. Dawson City Frozen Time. Mm. Forgot oh. to watch that one. Oh. All right. Nice. So, was that a boo on Twin Peaks because you didn't like it or because you don't think it's a movie? Hmm. Well, I would say both. It's not a movie, and also it would not be in my top even 20 if I counted it as a movie, so. Okay. <laughs> it would be a very right. plodding, oddly paced movie. Yeah. <laughs> very long one, yeah, sure, certainly. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and then next person go with uh, guest uh, Samuel B. Prime. Uh, Haley forgot to send me her list, so I just texted her. So uh, she said, "Give me five, So I might interject at some point. Oh, wow. uh, nice. Yep. Uh, so uh, Samuel B. Prime. Uh, his number ten is friend request. His mm. number nine is I Olga Hepnarova. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. His number eight is personal shopper. Mm -hmm. His number seven is Keddy. His number six is Escapes. Uh, his number five is Wonderstruck. Mm. Number four, Faces Places. Mm. Number three is Hypernormalization, which doesn't mm -hmm. count. I can't really call him out. I'm going to break that rule. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, his number two is Dawson City Frozen Time. And his best and biggest surprise... Uh, Kong Skull Island. Wow. It's a big surprise over here, too. Yeah. <laughs> he, he wrote that. That wasn't me. I know. Uh, editorializing. Yeah, I was just explaining for everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I but forget. It, it do we have, do we have a reason for that? Is there what's the... Uh, he heralded what? it on, on Girl Walk all day, so okay. if you want to hear him talk about Kong Skull Island, you can I certainly do. Girl Walk all day. You know podcast. what? I'd like to hear about Girl Walk all day as well. So, sounds like a win-win. All right. <laughs> so, uh, Haley just chimed in with her top five. Uh, her number five is Bad Batch. 
Her number four is yourself and yours. Nice. Her number choice. three is Daguerreotype. Mm-hmm. Wow. Her number two is The Beguiled. Wow. And her number one is The Florida Project. Wow. Boom. Amazing. Boom. Are more in line in terms of dislikes than likes this year. Mm. Even though I like most of those movies that I've seen. Um, right. They weren't uh, in my top ten or fifteen. Is uh, Daguerreotype that... Um... Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a Kiyoshi Kurosawa film that I I think I remember like bringing up last year on the podcast when we were talking about yeah. him. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, he's got it some movies funny, coming out. Funny different titles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I completely forgot about that one was, because we talked about Creepy. It was mm. also good. mentioned on the mid-season podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. I, I heralded it then. <laughs> it's a cool movie. Uh, no lie there. <laughs> yep. Uh, all right. So moving on to uh, Stephen. Oh he boy. Has uh, uh, <laughs> technically a top fourteen because he has two ties, yeah. but uh, or top twelve, I guess. Yeah, I can do math. Uh, so his number ten is a tie. Uh, it's the work, um, and uh, the graduation. Mm. Not to be confused then, with graduation. No, oh, yep. don't do Different it. Different movie. Yeah, the documentary about uh, the French documentary about uh, their <laughs> shitty cinema school and how badly it's run. Excited <laughs> <laughs> to watch it. Nice. Uh, uh, his number nine is The Island uh, by Tuan and- Andrew uh, Wynn. Huh. Uh, his number eight is Apple Pie by Sam Hamilton. His number seven is Chamiso's Shadow by Ulrich Ondinger. Uh, his number six is Strangely Ordinary This Devotion by Daniel and Sheila Wilson. <laughs> uh, number five, Venus, 99 Nights, Two Mornings, Seven Visions <laughs> by Jean-Marc Boulard. Uh, his number four is a tie of uh, re-releases. <laughs> uh, Mad Max Fury Road Chrome, Black and Chrome Edition by George Miller. Ooh. And the Black Hat Director's Cut by Michael Mann. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> what an what a interesting number four. <laughs> yeah. uh, then his uh, number three is On the Beach at Night Alone by Hong Sang Soo. Uh, number two, The Killing of a Sacred Deer by Yorgos Lanthimos. Ooh. And uh, number one, A Restoration by Elizabeth Price. Something you can't even watch. You have to go to the museum to watch that, right? Yeah. Yep. Got it. Very hoity toity of him to stick it at number one. He's got a camera yeah. above it. <laughs> way, to, <laughs> way to go on living in London. <laughs> and then. Uh, finish it off with uh, Michael as we did before uh, his top three is unranked and it's just uh, the Meyerowitz stories, new and selected get out and the shape of water Boom. sorry Michael yeah, yeah. sorry we shit on one of your yeah. movies yeah, a lot, a lot. <laughs> except for me who hasn't watched it yet are you going to watch it? Sweet, sweet fish porn. Then. Well, my idea was to watch it just in time to denounce it in the very first podcast. <laughs> very cynical. This year. So, yeah. Nice. Good times. Okay. Uh, Awards time. Uh, you yeah. get to keep talking, Basil. I do. Starting with me. Do the talk on the TV. Boo, boo, boo. 
So we're starting with uh, supporting male performance, right? Yeah, baby. All right. Uh, yeah. My winner is uh, from, I think, maybe the very first 2017 movie I saw, which uh, the Oscars still consider 2016, uh, but didn't come out here until this is uh, Tadanobu Asano in Silence. Oh. Uh, oh. He's uh, the most fun part about this movie. It's a very strange movie, uh, but he seems like the only actor who like kind of gets what the movie is and how like weird it is so he kind of leans into it in a pretty uh wry and uh funny way and uh basically his character is just uh a japanese guy who is participating in the torture of uh christians and trying to get them to denounce christianity because they think it's a, a negative force in japan and he's pretty reasonable about it he's like hey we just want you to step on this thing. Like, who cares? Like, you can believe whatever you want. Just just step on your picture of Jesus, like, and then we'll stop torturing you. Just do it. <laughs> straightforward. And it's a really, yeah, it's a really good point. <laughs> Iconography is meaningless, and he gets it, but <laughs> stupid Andrew Garfield can't let go. All right. Um, unless someone has something to add to that. Nope, my memory's kind of fuzzy. It's been a long time since I saw that movie at this point, but I believe it. It's been yeah. uh, forever since I saw that movie. A solid <laughs> year. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Oh. <laughs> You're missing out on one of, uh, one of cinema's greats. Alright, so my winner Best Supporting Actor, I don't know if I've done this in the years past, but it's actually from a movie that I put on my bottom 10, Whoa. and it's uh, Jason Mitchell in Detroit. Oh, um, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Alright, Jason Mitchell. For me, definitely uh, the best part of watching Detroit was watching Jason Mitchell completely unhinged in that whole scene where he just looks he acts like he's making his dialogue up on the spot um mm -hmm. and uh just kind of like injects this movie with a whole uh bunch of energy just before all the bad shit starts happening and i mean he is also the one to get shot first mm -hmm. in that hotel yeah, so uh also the one to basically start that whole uh awful part of this movie um but i liked uh, everything about his performance up until then, and uh, he, uh, yeah, just completely confirms to me that he can just completely obliterate everyone that is even around him in the same in the same scene. Um, I don't know. This guy is just really really impressive. Like um, I even liked him in Mudbound, the movie I otherwise also didn't like, but uh, this mm -hmm. performance. Just uh, edge it out for me. So, yeah. Way to go. Yep. Jason yeah, Mitchell, of... friend of the podcast. <laughs> Definitely. He's great. Yep. Always winning those Best Supporting Actor awards. He was a uh, easy e right? Lead. So wow. he, he's yeah, running away with that as well. Lead. Yeah. Lead. Somebody's yeah. got to stop him. <laughs> no. He's getting too many. Can't be stopped. <laughs> He's coming overburdened. Stop! Won't stop. 
He's uh, he's the male version of Kristen Stewart. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh man, he has a new TV show. Perennial contender. He I does. believe so. The Shy. He's see. on The Shy. I haven't heard of this. I hear it's good. Mm-hmm. Might be worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Cool. Oh. But this is a movie podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've already no, no TV. <laughs> allowed. We never talked either. about television shows or basketball or anything on this podcast except uh, I won't prop up another. Uh, you heard what we, you heard what we did to Twin Peaks earlier. No. Peaks. All right. Uh, Me. Next, it's yeah. my turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my best supporting actor is Benny Cooper Smith playing Benny in. Gustin, uh, a guy defeat Difa? I don't know. I should have looked that one up first. But person to person. <laughs> oh, in person to person. Yeah, cool. Gustin Guy Difa. I think it's Dustin Guy Difa. Sorry, Gus- Dustin. <laughs> um, anyhow. Dustin <laughs> Gustin. <laughs> well, I slander this guy's name. Uh, Benny Cooper Smith. It's kind of in the the tradition of all of these great non-actor performances. Um, he is essentially in there to play himself. He's just like a record store dude out in Red Hook. Um, but, you know, director found him, liked him a lot. Uh, and he has this incredibly warm screen presence. I was really blown away. Um, just, yeah, oh, cool. an utterly like charismatic performance I didn't see coming. I just kind of turned this movie on thinking like, oh, you know, New York like anthology movie with like Michael Sarah and stuff. But then all the mm-hmm. Michael Sarah stuff ends up not being all that very exciting. And the stuff with Benny Cooper Smith is the highlight. Uh, he has a fun uh, chase nice. sequence with Buddy Duress, who <laughs> sells him a, a fake record. Uh, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, and he's a very sweet, kind man. I mean, sometimes some of the performances I end up picking out are, uh, you know, because they maybe are representative of something that doesn't ever necessarily come out in the acting um and the movie kind of sets him up for that by just kind of being like a paragon of like goodness and being a nice friend um but he sells it he's a very warm like instantly uh lovable presence on the screen it's very exciting yeah nice nice shirt it's a plot line i was a little sad i missed this yeah one. it was pretty charming uh it acquits itself well my pick. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. oh, I was just going to say, it was one of those ones that I had when I was planning to cram for the end of the year, and then I just didn't cram. Yeah. <laughs> and got left off. Mm-hmm. Wise choice. Fair enough. <laughs> My pick is the opposite. Oh. It's a sociopath. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a pretty good year for movies, I would say, probably. The only thing that was kind of disappointing, and maybe there's some sort of bias playing into this, was how many times Mitchell and I disagreed. That was a little bit sad. It is sad. But, in a bit of synchronicity, Ooh. my supporting performances this year are almost the exact same as Mitchell's last year. Oh, boy. So we're starting off with Army Hammer. Yeah. My best male supporting performance, but in Free Fire. Whoa. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we talked He's very fun in that movie. And the other podcast, but uh, other than Toshiro Mifune's Unnamed Ronin in Yojimbo Sanjuro, I don't normally enjoy the charming sociopath character, mm. but I'm totally charmed by Army Hammer mm. in this movie. I could t- understand why Brie Larson 
agreed to go out with him, even though uh-huh. she, she also knows that he could murder her at any point. <laughs> right. It's a fun movie and a fun performance. Yeah, very fun movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And he's got a nice beard in it. It's probably. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Yeah, everybody's dressed really well. Oh. That's fun. <laughs> I, th- I think of all the movies I gave three stars to last year, that would be the one I was most excited to rewatch. Likewise. <laughs> That's something we have in common. Person to Person was a real solid three star movie as well. <laughs> nice. I also gave Free Fire three stars. Yeah. Right down the middle. <laughs> Three-star train. Keep it rolling. <laughs> Me too, I guess. I hadn't actually given the three any stars yet, but if I would, that would be <laughs> That's why the like appropriate star amount. <laughs> I hope so. All right, Patrick. All right. My uh, winner for Best Supporting Actor uh-huh. is Willem Dafoe in both The Florida Project and in uh, Death Note. Mm, that was nice. Because I like how <laughs> about Murder on the different Orient both these performances are. Um, in Florida Project, he's a lot more warm and sort of meant to be like an audience analog in a way um, but I think in a way that like activates both the identification but also a sort of helplessness with the situation where he's kind of forced to be this cog in the machine that just destroys this family and you know you never sort of feel triumphant about identifying with him you're just like oh no like I'm you know I am part of the system too like I'm you know, help. That's not necessarily, yeah, not necessarily helpless to do anything, but like, I'll definitely like, you know, call out a pedophile and tell him to get off my lawn. But as soon as the, you know, the social workers show up to break this family apart, like, oh, well, there's nothing I can really do. You know, I just got to do my job or whatever. And I think that that's fascinating. And the same year, he's basically playing the god of death, and he's just laughing about how many people he allows these teenagers to kill with a notebook and so, so i'm like I, lo- I love his range going from like oh no helpless middle manager to ha 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 i'm the god of death you humans are so interesting the way you murder people <laughs> and the way you take like relish in murdering people as well so i um yeah i liked that that range from him this year willem defoe's got the range <laughs> Defoe, Defoe on the range. <laughs> uh, my uh, winner for best supporting female performance uh, is going to go to Lois Smith for Marjorie Brennan. Uh, the aforementioned. Uh, many. Uh, this is uh, another bait and switch choice. Similar to some of my acting, a lot of other acting awards this year, uh, many of my ones in my top five are ones I've either already mentioned, or uh, you know, are in my top ten. So uh, hmm. it's kind of hard for me to talk about the ones that I'm like the most uh, feel like I have the most to say about. Be like, oh yeah, like this, but. She's really good in it, and uh, mm. really sad, and pretty funny, the way that she uh, was like, oh, no, no, next time, that's not what happened, next time, tell uh, tell me we were at Casablanca. <laughs> 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 uh, 
pretty good on uh, Lady Bird 2. Good year for Lil Smith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I'm not going to say a lot more. All right, so my best supporting actress goes to, uh, uh, it's, it was close. I really liked Elizabeth Olsen in Ingrid Goes West. She was very good. Uh, but my winner goes to Bria Vinaiti for Florida Project. Wow, me I too. Think, uh, we can talk about this at the same time. <laughs> nice. Awesome. I think that's actually uh, uh, very key to whether or not you will enjoy this movie, is how much you connect to her performance. Mm. Um, I think that if I, you don't... I enjoy her performance, and I don't yeah. enjoy this movie. All right. Um, and then it, because I think there's a lot of key scenes in this movie that sort of play off of how uh, your connection to her is. And I think that uh, I think she carries a lot of scenes that might otherwise fail, like the scene where she... Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of scenes where, like, kind of, like, the whole uh, idea is kind of brought up of whether or not she's just, like, this teen who's, like, a clueless parent or if she's, like, a really loving mom who lets her daughter do anything she wants and uh, will protect her at all costs and, like, how that can seem naive at times and can also seem irresponsible at the same time. Um, I think she pulls off that... Uh, that dynamic really well um, and there's just I don't know there's just like a lot of moments where like the whole documentarian vibe of this movie uh, really hinges on uh, her selling this part and I think that she does it really really well um, and uh, one of the first scenes that really got me into this movie was the part where her and this other woman have this argument because uh, her uh, Brie Vanati's kid uh, Mooney uh, spits at this other woman's kid and at her car. I like this whole time when she like starts talking to this other mom and like just really doesn't want to own any of that and like just doesn't even think that her kid did anything wrong like the way she acts that part was like already like okay i'm really on board for this so yeah, yeah it's really funny she hits that woman up for a cigarette yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's an editor uh, she's like hey can i get one of those much like my supporting actor performance is another fun non-actor performance um, <laughs> And uh, it feels very lived in. Uh, it's a very uh, intense performance, but um, she she kind of rides all the emotional beats perfectly. I was pretty blown away. It's very convincing. Um, I I never once would have thought for a second that this was just somebody he found on Instagram. She's, yeah, yeah, I'll find that out later too. Yeah, pretty pretty tremendous. She can sell a lot um, in her chemistry with. Uh, Mooney with Brooklyn Prince is uh, exceptional and very believable. Uh. Yeah, uh, she she was my actual winner too, but I, you know, I've been trying to avoid the repeating things. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, she's she's pretty incredible. Uh, the second time I watched the movie, uh, I noticed a lot of things, especially towards the end of the movie, like uh, the the scene where they sneak into the. Um, the hotel 
uh, restaurant to have like breakfast or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, since I didn't know what was coming, like uh, I wasn't thinking about it, but rewatching it, knowing what's coming, like she does a really good job of like being like excited for Mooney, yeah. but like clearly also mm. like hiding the fact that she knows she's doing this for her daughter because like DHS is on the way or mm-hmm. whatever. And I was like, oh, this is very heartbreaking yeah. for me. There's layers there. There are layers. Mm-hmm. Also, lover, can I smoke weed yeah, in here? Yeah, so I was at... about to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> A very <Yeah>. nice touch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I know Mitchell agrees with this choice as well. Oh boy. My best female supporting performance is Elle Fanning in 20th yeah. Century Women. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we heard about that last year though so i'm going to talk about elizabeth moss and the square whoa <laughs> whoa <laughs> so i am repeating one but it was on my worst stuff so it doesn't really count um <laughs> moss is given a really thankless role mm. and she would definitely win my most with the least award <laughs> <laughs> as far as what the script is providing her because <laughs> she's playing this very entitled and pushy millennial type uh, investigative presence for Christian. I think in every scene that she appears in, she's calling out him out on something. Meaningless words that they put on his webs on the website for the museum. His ego about wanting to not <coughs> give her his sperm and not calling <laughs> after sex. But um, for me, she manages to be the only non-flat character in the film. Uh, her lack of manners make her more relatable than anyone else and uh, I really like how she uses her eyes and nostrils for humor mm, she's good the interview that. between her and Christian early on is one of the few truly funny parts of the movie in my opinion yeah that opening interview wow. that she conducts is maybe legitimately funny I was, I was <laughs> watching that I was laughing I was like haha yeah she makes those faces I was like oh maybe this movie will be funny <laughs> and then it wasn't really uh, she also hangs out with chimpanzee, which is fun. I'm not sure why. Yeah. <laughs> she's a cool artist. Yeah, type. classic. Uh, always hanging out with Having chimpanzees. Yeah. She's probably my favorite Scientologist. So yeah. <laughs> what about Giovanni Ribisi? <laughs> um, <laughs> I just found out he was a Scientologist yesterday. Said that tracks. Yeah. I was gonna say. Whoops. Yeah. I can't think of. I'm sure there are some that I like, but yeah. most of the time it's people that I don't like that well, much. Steph. Beck's okay, I guess. Yeah, Beck's I'm going to Google I think he is a cool Scientologist. Scientologist. Oh, oh he's renounced the church. Okay. I believe yeah. so. Now Beck's even cooler. Patrick. All right, well, um, my best supporting actress is going to Allison Williams for Get Out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, yeah, I, <laughs> I think that this is, you know, I, I also love Daniel Kaluuya's performance in this, but I think that this is the one that like mm. is kind of the hinge of this whole movie because. Oh no, boo! Really? I'm kidding. Yeah, I like her too. She's good. She's good. She's good. It, it's, it's fascinating to me because good. it it's the one that I think like pulls back the mask on the sort of like evilness of the white people in this and like the whole idea of like white virtue 
where it's like mm-hmm. you know it's and it's also like apparently the most divisive role in the mm-hmm. whole movie because people are like constantly misinterpreting <laughs> what's going on with her character and she, she has like very <laughs> yeah she's very <laughs> clearly like told people like no she's like actually evil there's no brainwashing <laughs> at all with her character <laughs> people are like no but she's like also a victim right and she's like no she's not <laughs> 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 and so i think that that is like that's pretty good that you know i just the character itself and also like her performance in it where she goes from being so incredibly warm and feeling like she's on Daniel Kaluuya's side and then like flipping it in an instant and being like the most evil weirdo <laughs> that you can imagine I was mm. like man Eating that cereal is cereal and milk separately <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah just I was like wow this that scene in particular like where she's sitting there listening to I had the time of my life on her computer with like her something about having her hair pulled back too. even in that scene, like the whole transformation of that character in that scene. I was like, wow, this is really, really like uncomfortable watching this person now. And and she's uh, like Googling. Yeah. yeah. And I was I was so surprised because (laughs) earlier in the movie, she's like so warm and loving. And you're just like, oh, she's she's on his side. Like, I. I think that's kind of why people refuse to believe that she's doing that of her own free will because she's so nice and warm earlier in the film, and also yeah. they're racist. Yeah, yeah. they well, want yeah, they want racist. But mm. at the beginning of the film, they want to be like, okay, she's the woke one, she's me, and you're mm. you're identifying with her. And so then, when it turns out that she's an awful person, you're like, oh no, does this mean that I'm an awful person? <laughs> yeah. No. That can't be. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I really enjoyed the way that that like, uh, it's just another just like, it. yeah, it's another like cog in this movie that like works so well. You, you don't even realize, I didn't even realize it on the first viewing and like thinking about it later, I was like, man, that's, that's it right there. Like that's the, the thing that twists the knife on the audience right there because it's like really really pointing it back at them when she pulls the keys out other person goes sorry babe <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. that scene right it's there a really like, great moment she's still <laughs> being so like nice and warm but she's like the most <laughs> evil in that moment all right uh my uh best lead male performance is perhaps one that I will come to regret in a similar way Uh-oh. that I will uh, have come to regret. Uh, good old <laughs> Casey. Oh, uh, oh no. What's I know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, my winner is oh, James no. Franco for the disaster Uh-oh. artist. Uh-oh. <laughs> You're the disaster artist now. I mean, my real winner is Daniel Kaluuya, and he has been since the beginning of the year, basically. But uh, I think... Uh, <laughs> It's it's weird to me because this acting is the kind of acting that I always complain about, like as someone just doing an impression, but it worked for me the whole movie. I was like, this impression is so uncanny and so unnerving and also making me laugh that like, I can't stop watching it. Like, it's basically just a one-joke movie, but it's a one-joke movie that I laughed at for the whole movie, and I was like, this, this is never not funny to me. And uh, 
And I also think that, you know, relatively speaking, I think a lot of people complain that it, like, lets Tommy was so off the hook. But there's some parts where he's really ugly, like, really, really awful. And I was like, I don't think that I feel that. And I also don't think that this is a movie about, like, chasing your dreams or whatever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's how a lot of people have read it, especially people who don't like it. And I'm like... I don't, I don't think I believe that, like, <laughs> he's a weirdo millionaire who, like, made a money, like, uh, made a movie by just, like, forcing it down everyone's throat, like, I don't think that that's, like, the inspirational story that people are trying to paint it as. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. But also, apparently... James Franco's a real scumbag, which isn't exactly surprising, <laughs> but know. it seems like more and more evidence is yeah. coming to light in the last week yeah. or two. Yeah. <laughs> the list had already been finalized. It had already been submitted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, those ominous Ali Sheedy tweets make me <laughs> feel real uncomfortable about this pick, but uh, mm-hmm. I would have had to take really far from my top five not to pick something that I already talked about. So. Best actor was really just, hard this yeah. year. Yeah, actually, yeah, on that point, I have, I mean, this is one of the strongest categories, I think, of the whole year, is best lead actor. Really? Who'd have thunk it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I had a Ewan McGregor for Trainspotting oh, yeah, 2, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, we talked about him. Robert Pattinson, talked about him. Jake Johnson in Win It All was also really, really good. He was my uh, uh, favorite for, for first time, first part of the year. Um, but my best lead actor actually goes to Yancey Ford for Strong Island, Ooh. the movie that I think completely hinges on and It's difficult to call it acting. I think this movie completely hinges on how much Yancey's uh, performance convinces you of uh, all the emotions this movie's trying to convey because technically this movie is not that accomplished or even complexly made so it really hinges on his uh, presence, his performance, his screen presence or whatever you want to call it so in that sense I think it's absolutely valid to uh, call this a lead performance um, Maybe acting is just the wrong term for it, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that I think that more people should consider documentary acting. Mm-hmm. Acting, it's you're it's you're still yeah. A camera's still looking at you while you're exactly emotions. <laughs> and I don't think we could talk about uh, and uh, Anya Sparta later Ooh. too. In terms of that, what a performance! Yep. Um. So like when she's dancing. I will. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I think that there's a a thing that I think Ruben also talked about once, where there's a difference between you know the gravity of the situation and the you know like how great the performance is, and often that those two can be kind of mistaken for each other. Like if this is a performance that's supposed to signify that something horrible has happened and the fact of that horrible thing happening, you know, that can often influence it. And in this case, I'm not even sure, to be quite honest, because I think those two things are very much intertwined 
Um, but uh, I can definitely say that oftentimes when watching something like this, I would probably be inclined to switch it off or maybe watch it later or maybe not finish watching it at all because I kind of feel like I know where this is going and I'm also like, this is very tough to watch and uh, his performance really changes that. So for what, that, what, for what that's worth, you know, he's my pick. Very nice, very nice. I'm sorry, but can the person who is clicking over and over again click less? That might have been me. I think that's... <laughs> click less. <laughs> I didn't realize clicking echoed as much. It's your pick, Ah, uh, It's on to me. Well, um... So I guess technically it was a big uh, year for male lead performances, but as I'm doing it, not wanting to give out any awards for people who are in my top 10, that really shrunk the pool quite a bit. Um, I think the obvious pick and the pick I landed on was Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out. We kind of talked about that a lot already. I think uh, Ruben's Letterboxd review really does a good job summing up what I like in this performance. Uh, is kind of like wariness and furtiveness in this situation it's like a very sad comedy of manners that you're watching um uh <laughs> and then i am um, and i guess also alternatively uh i really enjoyed vince vaughn and brawl and cell block 99 um <laughs> i thought for sure that was dumb stunt <laughs> casting like career reappraisal nonsense um but like 20 minutes into the movie I'd forgotten it was Vince Vaughn and he uh does what he, he has the right physicality for the performance and also kind of has like the wherewithal to present himself as this sort of object um which matches up with the trajectory of the movie of him slowly being dehumanized and just turned into like this thing in the state penitentiary that they just <laughs> yeah. um and yeah it's a great physical performance I was very impressed Another performance of a movie yes. on my bottom, whatever, or my dishonorable mentions that I really, really liked. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird that it took this long to do it, because he's always been a super <laughs> huge, tall dude. But, like, somehow he, like, hides how big he is in his, like, nervous manner of talking and, like, kind of, like, uh, laid back, like, unassuming, like, physicality. And so now that, like, when he leans into it, it's like, oh, yeah. Vince Vaughn is like a monster of a human. Yeah. So <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Maybe only that one scene in Wedding Crashers where he plays football has he ever been. Oh. I don't remember Me that either. scene. I haven't seen that movie since the theater. It's on Netflix, though. Hey. I almost watched it. <laughs> but then I started City of God instead. Which is terrible. Yeah, he, he, I think he. I think he. Minor denouncement. Uh, he ends up decking Bradley Cooper in that oh. movie. Oh, mistaken. Oh, that sounds cool. He takes him out. <laughs> Poor Bradley Cooper. That's not cool. <laughs> oh, I think he's a bad guy in that movie, though. Yeah, he's. Yeah, he he's is. Sort of... He wears seven pop collar shirts at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very 2005 joke. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yes, it is. Um. Okay, so my winner, of course, would be Shahab Hosseini for The Salesman, but to not repeat, uh, I'm going to talk about Hugh Jackman from Logan. Mm, yeah. 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 So, Hugh Jackman. Yeah, that's another one. I forgot about that one. <laughs> you, uh, 
already know from listening to the other podcasts, I'm not a huge fan of these superhero movies, although I liked this one. But um, this should be, if you're going to make movies more like television, the hopeful end goal of these endless franchises is the idea that an actor and an audience could create a more deep and nuanced relationship over time. And this is the first time I've actually seen that. You can really see how long playing Wolverine has weighed Hugh Jackman as a person and the way in which, you know, it's uh, meant something positive and negative Mm. to him. Um, I was surprised at the nuance and depth as far as that's concerned. Um, I also liked Daphne Keen a lot, and uh, I would have liked the movie even more if it was a little bit better plotted, but mm-hmm. I still think it's a good movie, and I think this is a really interesting performance. Yeah, it's true. It's a bummer that, I mean, I think he's fine in it, but when it came out, people were like, ah, oh, Patrick Stewart should totally be nominated for an Oscar, but he won't, because the Oscars hate superhero movies, and I was like, he's fine, but if you're going to talk about that for one of the people, it should really be. <laughs> Again, yeah. Patrick Stewart's performance being overrated in a movie that is otherwise also very good. Just like yeah, The Green Room. It's true. It's a very fine Just performance. <laughs> he was fine. Yeah, Again, right. he's fine. He's, he's always fine. <laughs> like, get, get over it, guys. It's like almost like people are expecting him to be terrible because he's like on Twitter all the time or whatever. Or like, <laughs> like oh, this guy can act. Oh my god! Like, <laughs> he's like a fucking, on Twitter. He's fucking like, yeah. Shakespearean he's actor or whatever. He's good. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a similar thing to the Idris Elba effect. Although, in this case, I like Patrick Stewart a lot better. But in that, he has like a really uh, beautiful, resonant voice, and that mm. people just respond to that, and they're like, oh, what a good actor. <laughs> Man, that's part of being a good actor, though. He's, Having a good yeah, voice. Know, he hypnotizes is, but... them. He's <laughs> got that natural talent. silver tongue <laughs> devil. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, well, my best actor is Robert Pattinson in Good Time. Yeah, um, yep. and I I wanted to talk about something that I <laughs> think good. Good choice. for some reason like this I guess was both of my lead performances but I wanted to talk about playing someone who is both a scumbag and also uh, like terrified victim uh, within a <laughs> larger like horrible system and I think that's a really fine line to walk between believable like monstrosity and being terrified all the time and I think that he does it really well in this movie um, and I I like that he like lets you into the character not in a way that's like not in like a I don't know that inexplicable way that people root for Hannibal Lecter where they're like yeah he's so bad it's like no that's not it like you actually feel like empathy with him because you're like oh fuck like like shit is really bad for him but he's also like being really bad <laughs> within the movie he's just doing horrible shit to people and you're just like i know he's doing this horrible shit and he's really bad but i also understand him like i understand Mm -hmm. why he's continuously doing evil shit and i was like that's a really tough line to walk and um i especially want to like 
shout out his accent work because I think he does a really good <laughs> accent in this that is definitely not his own. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, people who go and try and act in accents that aren't their own, like really end up fucking up a lot and mm -hmm. really end up sounding like they're not, you know, they don't belong. But I think he does a really yeah. good job in this one and really sinks into that role and <laughs> is believably horrible. Man, how much fun would it be to see the faces of the critics who first watched Twilight? <laughs> and we're like, this movie sucks. Show them this movie. And then, like, show them that, like, the movies that Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart have been in in the last couple of years. And just, like. Those vampires? I don't know Robert Pattinson's career that well, but Kristen Stewart was always doing these movies. Twilight was just the movie that made her big. I think it was similar for Pattinson. Like, not like stateside yeah. stuff so much, but he was, like, in a lot of. He was doing, yeah, a lot he of was art doing, films. like, Australian stuff, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was in like the rover with Guy Pierce. And... Yes, he was. Cosmopolis. Cosmopolis was post Twilight. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, um, Whereas Kristen Stewart but... was in stuff like Speak. Yeah. Uh, and Into the Wild before Twilight. And Panic Room. Yeah, that's not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Catch that kid. She was in a little movie called Adventureland. <laughs> that came out the same year as Twilight. And the Void. The year after. It was after, I think. The Adam Brody movie. Um, <laughs> ooh, I also wanted to mention, but, too, that uh, as well as. Well, Pattinson was certainly in contention for me. He's great. Um, but this was in my top 10, so I left it out personally. Um, also, for supporting actress, Talia Webster probably would have been my best supporting actress had Good Time also not been my top ten, because she's so good in this. Um, yep. Yeah. I don't know. I hope all these people continue on. I always get worried when, you know, Sean Baker's and Safdie Brothers cast these people from nowhere, <laughs> and then I hope I see them again. <laughs> yeah. Buddy Duress seems to be Yeah, where are the trans actresses from... Uh... Tangerine. Yeah. Have they been in a lot of things Cinderella. after Tangerine? Mm, I don't think so. Not much. Yeah. Oh dear. And uh, the lady uh, from Heaven Knows What has only been in uh, a very small role in American Honey. Ariel Holmes. Yeah. Need more. Bummer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I want to watch that Maybe one now. Well, I want to watch a lot of stuff. Sean Baker should make like two more movies and then create the Sean Baker universe. Come together. Oh man, yep. I would really enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, that seems tasty. Haley comes to Los Angeles, hangs out with Cinderella. <laughs> oh man, all the wacky <laughs> mix-ups cool that would. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, I'm in a similar boat that I already said with uh, the lead female performance. Um, basically, everyone in my top five is now in my top ten. I was going to talk about Hong Chao, but then I had to sub downsizing <laughs> in as my number ten. So uh, I, I'm going, but I still like her. So I'm going with uh, Adele Hanel in The Unknown nice. Girl. Um, I think that the way that the Dardens get... Uh, performances out of people in general is pretty incredible and that the way that uh, they're able to like slot uh, kind of like more known famous like French leads into like a movie with like a bunch of you know Belgian character actors that none of us have really ever seen before uh, works really well 
and uh, something about her like uh, like kind of quiet seriousness. I was pretty drawn in for uh, the whole movie and similar to Two Days, One Night, you know, she's in basically every scene and the movie kind of kept going and going to me in a way where I was I was on board for it, even if I didn't end up loving it as much as some of the Dardenne's other stuff that I've seen. But, uh, and this is just a general comment on them because I wanted to fit it in, but uh, Ruben and I talked about this, but of all the directors working today that are like talking about humanism mm. and stuff like that, I feel like they really pull it off in terms of like making me feel like what we were talking about McDonough with his like insincere. Uh, <laughs> every one of these characters could be the star of their own movie. Mm -hmm. Like I really feel that about the Dardenne's movies that like each character is in briefly intersecting with the main character while they're in the story of their own life. And uh, I feel like it really gives their movies like a tapestry of uh, like existing in a world, a real world that I believe mm -hmm. in. That's cool. Yeah, it very much is. Uh, I have some things to say about Unknown Girl later. Cool. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> but that uh, the, that actress is really great. She's also good in BPM for a little bit. Yeah, she's in it for a second. Well. <laughs> mm -hmm. I like when she's yelling at everyone. Yeah, she's good at that. Fucking up my meetings, guy. <laughs> Stop interrupting the meetings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, I uh, was not quite as uh, happy with my best lead actress uh, uh, category. I mean, I uh, I liked uh, Nicole Kidman in The Beguiled. I liked uh, yeah. uh, very funny. who I, I don't remember her name who played in Death Note. Uh, what's her name? Margaret Qualley. Margaret Qualley. Yeah. I liked her. I don't know. Like that's a cool choice. She she was a really good one. Um, but the one I've uh, settled on was Diane Lane for Paris Can Wait. So, ah, nice. So uh, I talked about that movie, about, and there's not that much that I can add, uh, except that uh, Diane Lane is a a all-around pleasure to watch. Just nice. a mm -hmm. really... It's not particularly uh, clever or yeah. like, shot in like a unique way, so yeah. it just rests entirely on connecting with her character. Yep. Enjoy the movie, which I did. Me too. Although there were a lot of barriers to do that, you know, and uh, that I mentioned already. So, way to go, Dan Lane. <laughs> Got to balance out an Alec Baldwin performance. That's always a tough challenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, a nice uh, thing about this movie is he disappears pretty early oh, on. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Never reappears again. Never. <laughs> only <laughs> through the phone. Yeah. Does Paris wait then? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> uh, 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 my best actress for 2017 is Kim Min Hee in On the Beach at Night Alone. Uh, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, nice. She's killing it right now. She's great. I like all these collaborations with Hong Sang Soo. And even though I wasn't a, uh, a Handmaiden fan, I think she's pretty wonderful in that as well. Um, uh, this one uh, in particular, the movie didn't end up connecting with me as much as I had hoped it would, um, especially as it was hyped up by Steven and the like, as seen on his list. But uh, 
uh, nevertheless, um, mm. <laughs> it uh, mm. has been hard for me to forget. It's one that I keep thinking about and would like to revisit, and a lot of that rests on her shoulders. Uh, she gives a, a, a great interior performance, but then is able to kind of like burst out in these um, like very believable displays of frustration and anger. Uh, it's mostly a movie about just, you know, reaching your kind of waning youth and realizing things didn't work out so well and just kind of having this like existential fury uh, at uh, whatever it is that's preventing you from finding happiness and not being mistreated by people. Um, and she embodies that very well. Uh, I, I, I really like what she's up to. She's great. Yeah, all the scenes where she starts out being polite, but then they're drinking, and as she becomes more drunk, she just gets very Starts irritated and real. won't put up with their yeah. shit. She's very good yeah. at playing drunk. I mean, that's a classic yeah. Hong Sang Soo yeah. thing, but uh, yeah. I mean, I think that I, I liked uh, what she was getting at in this movie in general. Mm -hmm. I would say that my only problem with it is that, uh, similar to other men that we've talked about, I'm not fully on board for men to make movies about their own transgressions and be like, mm -hmm. hey, sorry, see, I made this movie about it. I feel bad. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's certainly a good point. Here's my own redemption arc. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. that's a pretty uh, tiresome trope at this point. Uh, um, yeah, gives me pause as well. That's but a I mean, section uh, you know, of the movie. <laughs> right, because, I mean, it is basically about the fact that uh, her and Hong Sang Soo had an affair in real life and that it really damaged her career as an actor. Oh, no. So, uh, Didn't know that. Awkward <laughs> stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. Not cool. <laughs> but I mean, some unpleasant you know, I guess, I guess they're cool because she was in the movie. But, <laughs> She's so. very good at it. <laughs> yeah. It's Vertigo's world. We're just living oh, in it. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> No one's made a new movie since Vertigo. Nope. <laughs> what if I confessed how creepy I am? Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> you have my attention. <laughs> Alright, so my winner would be Hazuki Kikuchi for Happy Hour. But uh, nice. I'm going to join Basil, Basil for Male Weed. Talked about a nominated performance. I'm going to Go with a boring nominated performance for my pick. It's Saoirse Ronan and Lady Bird. Woo! <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, it's a movie that um, when I read people who like it more than me, they're really into the emotional relationship between Lady Bird and her mother. And while I don't totally buy that, Personally, Saoirse's performance, I do. Hmm. Uh, one of the teenage moments that really, really lands for me is there's a scene where she's talking to her BFF about how she's going to marry Lucas Hedges' character and get to live in her, his grandmother's perfect house, which is the real reason why she likes him. Uh, essentially making plans for 10 to 20 years in the future after like a two to three week old relationship right and then the very next scene is they're watching timothy chalamet's band and she's giving him this guy as hot as hell eyes 
Like <laughs> one second earlier, she was making 20 year plans and now she's already ready to jump this guy's bones. It's uh, yep. <laughs> a great phrase. Being, being beyond all doubt committed to something yet somehow extraordinary fickle really sums up my teenage years. So I was on board. And I normally am not, not necessarily with Saoirse Ronan as an actor, but with Saoirse Ronan films. Mm. I think this is the very mm. first one that I've liked. Me too, man. <laughs> she has a really bad record with me. Lost River, oh, yep. Grand Budapest Hotel, Oof. Brooklyn. Lost River, shit. Hana. <laughs> are some, uh, I haven't some seen Hana. Real losers. Oh, you didn't see Hana, okay. I thought somebody here. Yeah, okay, it was you, Basil, that saw Hana and didn't like it. Yeah. I didn't like it, but... <laughs> Grand Budapest Hotel, too. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot she was in that. GBH. <laughs> <laughs> She's one of my least favorite aspects. Not necessarily because of her performance, but just her character and the things that they do with her that I've talked yeah. about often on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. That movie's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Get it out of here. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. Um, my leading actress performance is Garance Marillier in Raw. Mm, um, nice. Again, another character another character who is both a sociopath and also extremely uh, sympathetic in a way that <laughs> I just like, I was on board with her from the very beginning and like even as she gets deeper and deeper into this like, you know, uh, I don't know what you would call it exactly, like preoccupation with cannibalism. She doesn't really ever go full <laughs> bore within the movie, but she kind of like loses control of herself at times. Um, but I, I was really impressed in the scenes where she made me believe the whole like emotions of like wanting to eat someone's finger. And I was like, I'm on board with this. Like, eat that finger. Uh, I believe that you really want to do it. And I was like, that's such a weird thing to try and make someone else believe because it's something that's so gross in real life. But you just, like, see her, like, sitting there, like, looking at her sister's finger for so long and just, like, wanting to put it in her mouth. And I was like, I'm buying this. And I don't know why because I don't think I would ever want to eat someone's finger in real life. But that's a really that's a good acting trick if you if you can draw me into that, <laughs> like that's really good. So yeah, yeah, I, I like her a lot too. too. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm excited so. for what she so, does with the rest of her career as yeah. well. I hope she works with mm-hmm. uh, Julia Ducourneau again. I hope both of them have long the, full careers. Yeah, the weird part where she's like staring at herself in the mirror, like lip syncing <laughs> to that bad French rap song. I was like. This song is pretty ta- and bad, but I'm really into this moment for some reason, so yep. she's selling it. She's got star power. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right, so moving on to score slash soundtrack, uh, I'm going with a soundtrack, and it's uh, one that I've listened to a bunch at work throughout the year, and I'm always pretty down for it. And that is the soundtrack to 20th Century Women. Mm. Uh, some pretty fun offbeat mm. picks. You know, it's like some heavy hitters of the 70s era, but, you know, like Talking Heads, it's so nice not to hear like Psycho Killer mm. or Once in a Lifetime Ooh, or whatever yeah. if you're going to go Talking Heads. <laughs> which which, <laughs> and, which uh, Talking Heads is it on that? 
Um, it's uh, Life During Wartime. Oh, the name oh of the song. nice. And the Todd like Salons movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then a uh, really great Buzzcock song, uh, Why Can't I Touch It. Nice. Pretty awesome. Is that the scene where Greta Gerwig and what's his name dance? I think so. Uh, I mean, I, I haven't seen the movie in like literally almost a year or so, other than uh, the part where they play Black Flag and oh, yeah, uh, they play wasted. <laughs> talking heads up against each other yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and trying to decide which side of the yeah. fence they're on, whether they're with the the art house kids or the punk kids. Uh, I can't remember any of the specific well, songs. It's been uses, my age old struggle. They're all pretty solid. Yeah. yeah, it looks like a nice selection for sure. Yeah, they uh, yeah. they do keep Morris era Black Flag. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, mm. and then also there is a little bit of like uh, scored music that's like a kind of really nice soft synthesizer that plays uh, through some of the scenes, and mm. that's on the soundtrack too. And that part also super nice. It's nice. And well curated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. I, I really believe that this is based on his. Thanks, Maria uh, July. Real, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Mr. July himself. That, you know. Yeah, I feel like. A, I mean, that's one of the things I guess I should bring up about the movie is that there are lots of movies that, like, try to be about, like, growing up during a certain time period. And I'm like, watching this movie, I was like, oh, I really believe that Mike Mills was, like,. Mm-hmm alive during this era and really into music during this era like it's not just like oh man i really love the 60s here's some beatles songs. <laughs> 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 kind of a big music buff yeah. fyi here's, yeah. help here's the buffalo springfield oh man yeah. here's a very personal song for me and it's my way by frank sinatra <laughs> Um, okay, so my pick is something I think I already talked about during my top ten, and that's the Good Time soundtrack Yay. by Audio Tricks, Audio Tricks Point Never. Yeah, uh, yeah, fun, fun soundtrack from start to finish. Really, uh, kind of gave me a little bit of the guest vibes, um, but uh, just like much more. Uh, it's unrelenting and uh, yeah. <laughs> just uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, very difficult to imagine this movie without that soundtrack, to be, to be sure. So, very much a part of the whole experience. So, very fun. Was yeah. on my short list yeah, as well. Definitely yep. up there. That uh, that uh, song that he does with Iggy Pop <laughs> at the end of it too is really good. Yeah, the Iggy Pop mm. song, the Pure and the Damned. Mm. We were doing I individual songs. my number three. Ooh. <laughs> number three of the year. Mm-hmm. Movie's really well edited to the yeah. score, and yeah. he's a perfect choice uh-huh. for it. All his music's about like urban decay and stuff, and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> That's the movie. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Daniel LePatton's real talented. I like his yeah. music a lot. Although that score for the bling ring was dubious, if I recall, I need to go revisit the bling ring. <laughs> was, was that now? Did they use? He didn't do it under songs Ono Tricks, that were pre-existing 
Um, there's a lot of pop okay, music I on remember. that soundtrack. I don't know how much of the score was original because he did it under Daniel Lopatin. He didn't do it under the Ono Tricks banner. Okay, yeah. I don't know. Time to I thought that they later. used one of his like pre-existing songs for that. I can. He's remember. got a score credit, yeah, but yeah. yeah, fun. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Um. Oh, my best original score for the year. I didn't do a soundtrack this time around. Uh. It's for uh, Silvio, directed by Kentucky or Audley and uh, Albert Burney. A nice movie about a gorilla who just wants to make a nice puppet show, but everybody wants him to break stuff. Because <laughs> he's a gorilla, and then they walk around shouting, what's the ape going to break at him? It's really mean. Um, but the movie's got this beautiful production design. It's definitely like following the ethos of using your limitations as like a, an independent sort of like vaguely DIY filmmaker. I think this was a Kickstarter funded project. Um, and they... Yeah, I wanted to ask, I probably should have asked off the podcast, mm-hmm. is this the same, there's vines with yes. the gorilla, is this the same it's dude? It's the same okay. dude, they expanded it. Yeah. It's, I've, it's seen, the, I've seen the gorilla vines and I like Yeah, them. they're very charming. <laughs> the movie is too. They've uh, joked that this is like the first movie to be adapted from a vine. <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 At the end of the movie it repeats. Yeah. <laughs> it goes around and around. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they, they they get a lot out of their like kind of minor production budget, um, and they have this like really neat aesthetic that's like sort of out of time. It largely takes place on the set of a, a public access channel TV station, so it's got that sort of like I don't know between two ferns vibe. But then also when you go uh-huh. into the outside world, it is kind of this fully realized. Uh, uh, they, they've invented their own world essentially uh, and um, to go along with that they have this very lovely uh, lo-fi uh, kind of minimalist electronic score it matches up oh. with like the very gentle sweet nature of the movie as well as kind of like matches their sort of DIY aesthetic um, I couldn't really get a, a good idea of who did what on it there's like three credited people for the score Thomas mm-hmm. Hughes, Nick Krill and Gretchen Loos, but it's great. It's a charming movie, charming score to match. People should see it. It was very high on my list. I think I had it at number 11. Cool. Yeah. I love Silvio. Nice. Silvio's so nice. Uh, <laughs> His puppet shows. Apparently, all those three people have collaborated together, actually, before. Oh, so, maybe okay. they always do things together. Oh, well, they actually. do them well, apparently. Mm. Keep it up. <laughs> Good collaboration. <laughs> about In a movie, about hey. collaboration. <laughs> In artistic oh. purity. Yeah. <laughs> Ready to be quiet and listen to 15 to 20 seconds of a song? Yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Bali, 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 ra, bali! Sahore bahu bali! So, good. my winner is M.M. Caravani for Bao Bali 2, the conclusion. <laughs> Number one I regret missing. Um, so, uh, the theme of this year for me was surprise, and that started with uh, how much I loved the score for this movie, because it is sort of along the lines of what I normally critique. Mm. It's really bombastic, 
over the top, tells you exactly how to feel at every single moment. <laughs> As you just heard there, that's the part where he's sliding down an elephant and then he smashes a door open and drags a big statue out and saves the day. <laughs> and essentially the lyrics are basically like, Bahu Bali, he's, he's the coolest. <laughs> <laughs> we love Bahu Bali. <laughs> and then nice. pretty much most of the shots of him in the movie are either from a profile or portrait, just flexing and stunting on people. <laughs> <laughs> Bahoodly style. <laughs> and uh, the score really, you know, sort of, um, as they put in Spinal Tap, turns it up to 11. Whoa. So I've uh, kind of rethought about exactly what it was that I disliked about the scores in the past. And it's not really so much that they're over the top. It's that I guess they're kind of patronizing. Like, I feel like they're telling you how to feel sometimes or they're trying to fill in gaps Mm -hmm. where they're not trusting the audience to pick up on it. In this case... There's no question as to what's going on. It's just, you know, reinforcing it in a really lovely, exciting way. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it weren't for the issues that exist with many Bollywood productions, kind of wonky FX at points, a little bit sexist, a little bit too long, this surely would have been in my top ten. Oh, man. Nice. <laughs> it's a really fun movie. <laughs> is, it a, really fun. is it technically a Bollywood movie? Not to be uh, yeah, pedantic. It's right now. It's, uh, uh, yeah. Telugu. Okay. Is that? I believe. But the version that's on Netflix for some reason is the Hindi version. Oh, okay. Which is fine. The dubbing makes it very, very serious in a funny yeah. way. Like, all the lines are delivered, <laughs> like, in these, like, super deep voices. It's like, the hand of Bahubali <laughs> will strike you. <laughs> this is cool. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> How much continuity is there? Can I hop into this one or should I start at the beginning? Um, you can absolutely start with this one. Uh, I They're both on Netflix yeah. if you're down yeah. for like a five plus hour Bali marathon. <laughs> it could be. Uh, I was pretty excited about uh, it. I think the first like hour of the first one is really, really good. Um, hmm. But the second one is a better, complete movie. Fair enough. I like the sound of that score. <laughs> yeah, yeah me too. The yeah. score is really it's good. Got him a good I've been listening song. to it for like five days. Bahubali, Sahubali. Maybe I'll annoy my co later. Nice. All right. Um, my pick for best. Uh, score slash soundtrack I went with a score and um, this is continuing the trend of having a movie that was on the list last year mm-hmm. um, is for The Red Turtle oh. um, yeah. <laughs> by Laurent Perez Del Mar um, and this is I I guess it's kind of a cheat because the whole movie is basically music because there's no spoken words in the movie so the music basically does all the heavy lifting in terms of uh, guiding your emotions uh, but I think it does a really good job, and I think it has a really good like hook that they, you know, transpose and use in different ways to, like, elicit different emotions. And um, it's the one that definitely made me cry the most. Uh, hearing it again, listening to it, I was like, oh, I'm 
like feeling all the emotion that I felt at this film just hearing the score again and it's mm. it, it's really evocative and, and really beautiful does the turtle die? Mm. Uh, well <laughs> that's it's hard it's actually very hard to say okay right. fair enough it's that it's kind of a movie stra- it's not a very straightforward movie I mean technically mm-hmm. yes but then again technically it comes back to life so alright <laughs> The turtle's back also as a woman. <laughs> like halfway through the movie, it dies and then comes back as a woman. So, yeah. okay, <laughs> that red turtle. I agree with this pick. <laughs> Just why I picked it last year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. My moving on to editing. Uh, my pick is. Mike Flanagan for Gerald's Whoa. Game. Whoa. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. I uh, talked a little bit with Ruben about it uh, a couple days ago, but uh, Mike Flanagan is extremely good at uh, using very small activity to generate mm. tension. So there's a part where she's handcuffed to the bed. That's the whole premise of the movie, uh, is that she's handcuffed to the bed and can't escape. And she's realizing that she's dying of dehydration and it but there's a cup of water above her and has to do like a lot of different physical twisting of her body to try and get the cup of water into her hands so that she can drink and not die and the way that uh Flanagan really pays attention to details and like really stretches out this moment uh really really works and it's one of those things that's must be incredibly hard for directors to do because so many <laughs> fail at it constantly. But uh, when it works, it seems so easy that you're just like, why can't all movies do this? What's the problem, horror directors? Why are you such so bad? <laughs> I agree. This was just right. off my nominees list. Nice. Uh, I, I wish I had watched it. It was filmed in Alabama, actually. Um, mm-hmm. oh, cool. In fact, a, a lot of the people that I worked with on the two movies that I worked on there were on the crew of this movie. They had the shirts from it. So <laughs> I was like, hey. Nice. <laughs> that seems really good. And I would say that, you know, any time that a filmmaker is able to do a movie that takes place mostly in one room and make it <laughs> watchable, much less in this case, mm-hmm. like pretty intense, mm-hmm. it's a very impressive job of editing. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and watch it. I watched Before I Wake the other day. It was something. Do you like it all? I, um... <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, uh, I think it's a smart movie, yeah. but it also mostly fails um, at doing what it's trying to do. But I still like it. Yeah, it's I'm in a similar place. It's a really, it's a tricky <laughs> one. Uh, so much of it is pretty brilliant. But anyway, um, I think I'm Jacob on this. Jacob Tremblay, I might be ready to get rid of. He's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a small no. child, but <laughs> not on Jacob Tremblay, but... Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think I'm tentatively on Well, you got to see Wonders. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> He'll really bring you around. <laughs> My alternative best actor choice, Owen Wilson, for Wonder. <laughs> what a good dad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Uh, so <laughs> my uh, cutting this impression off. Winner for uh, best editing is a weird one. Uh, it's uh, 
Gregory Plotkin uh, for Happy Happy Death Day oh. movie. Happy <laughs> oh, nice. Death Day. That's a fun I think that editing awards should go to comedies more often because a lot of comedies, punchlines and things like that depend on editing so much, not just on acting. Um, so I think a lot of this movie's success, movie that I liked and just barely missed my top ten, um, is due to how often. The jokes land really well, and um, yeah, I don't know, like this guy is kind of a weirdo, so he is apparently also the editor of Get Out, which is in oh, nice. interesting, but he's also, also well edited. but he's also the director of Black Mass, Wait, <laughs> that guy? which is like, what? yikes, uh, and also Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension. Uh, also directed oh, nice. by him. That's the spookiest so, dimension. Wow. Weird career. Really, really strange. Um, but really, I mean, good overall job editing things in 2017. Like, <laughs> with Happy Death Day and Get Out, had a lot of good editing moments. Um, particularly remember the, the scene in Happy Death Day where she dies and goes to bed at the same time, which is <laughs> really fun. Fun movie overall, by the way. I haven't talked about it at all, but I thought it was actually one of the better. Uh, again, a Groundhog Day thingy, uh, mm -hmm. but another really well done one. Yeah, it was a good year to revive female-centric uh, Groundhog Day. <laughs> Absolutely. I wish every movie was a the Groundhog only, Day movie. The only Groundhog Day movie I don't like is Groundhog Day. <laughs> 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 That's who's like who's Bill Murray? <laughs> one of the one of the best bits of this movie is her not knowing who Bill Murray is. <laughs> yeah, that big nerd. I love you, Tree. She was she didn't make it, but she was on the list for top fictional characters to date as well. But she didn't make the top five. <laughs> Mitchell. Well, my best editing. I sort of ended up cheating, slightly breaking my own rules, just because. I don't know. I was at a loss. Everything was in my top ten uh -huh. for getting my best director award later. Um, so I went with Julia Block for The Wall, which I uh, did in nice. my mid-year. But The Wall is great, uh, and a lot of that comes from her editing. Um, you know, as Ruben was just saying, kind of like single-scene movie, it can still be exciting. Well, The Wall's very exciting. I was, <laughs> and you're yeah. just sitting yep. behind a wall the whole time. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's it's very tight. She keeps the tension moving. Uh, you, you, it messes with perspective in interesting ways, hopping between the, the phantom sniper and Aaron Taylor Johnson behind the wall. Um, and the shifts are always uh, really smooth and in service of like keeping this great forward momentum going. Um, it's a good-looking movie. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I also agree with yeah. that choice. Obviously, since, I... <laughs> since we both saw the wall together <laughs> and liked it. Yep. I think this might be an agreeable choice as well. I couldn't find someone listed under editor, but under post-production supervisor, I have Anais Musere for Nocturama. Uh, <laughs> oh, <nice>. Wow. Movie <laughs> with no editor, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Just, they threw the scenes up into the air. <laughs> oh, but they landed. That's how they cut it together. Very dada. Um, another movie that uh, could... I mean, it's already very close. I think it's number 12. 
could be in my top 10 if I didn't feel like it lost a little bit of steam in the extended what I call Dawn of the Dead section. <laughs> Not totally unintentionally, mm-hmm. but also doesn't totally work for me. But the opening act is the best edited thing <laughs> that I saw this year, for yeah. sure. It's breathless and nonstop. Keeps the narrative cards extremely close to the vest mm. while keeping me deeply invested in what's going on. That's all in the delicate balance of the editing. People looking at other people on the cross subway uh, tracks and things like that and being like, whoa, what the hell is happening right here? Yeah. <laughs> and while uh, music choice, the term, the music that is chosen would fall into another category, I think it's also worth noting how well the editor cuts to the music in the film when they're playing pop songs as they dance around the mall. Mm-hmm. A lot of top scenes of the year contenders for them listening to cool songs while they oh, do yeah. faux domestic shit <laughs> in the mall. Singing my way. Yeah. Good use of my but way. A cool speaking version of, speaking by of a my woman. Way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was on my short list for soundtrack. Yeah, definitely. Well. Yeah. Chief, Keef. Chief, Keef. Chief, Keef. <laughs> Will Smith. Will yeah. Smith. And Will, yeah. And Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> meeting of the minds. Yeah, um, yeah the, the, the whole the opening section is amazing. It's yeah. very fun to watch. It's okay. hypnotic. Uh, you don't necessarily have a destination, but you're, you're still very invested in figuring out where they're going and following these people. And the way they map it out too, I wonder, I wonder what sort of work went into that. It seems very heavily choreographed in a cool way. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone's working together: director, cinematographer, actor, editor. Aww. It's the spirit. Hard of to cinema. choose which one to highlight. <laughs> yeah, but I chose editor. It's true. It's a great movie. All right. Well, um, with my editing, uh, my winner for editing is going to come up in a minute so I'm not going to talk about it I'm going to talk about oh. uh, Girls Trip edited by Paul Millsball and uh, like Ilya said editing and comedy is very important uh, I think there are uh, uh, two sequences in particular that I think are very well edited um, one is the one where they're tripping on absinthe I think that I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, the way that that is cut back and forth between the the absinthe dreams that they're having and the reality of the situations that they're in uh, especially with uh, I believe it's Queen Latifah with, with the lamp uh, <laughs> carrying that lamp around thinking it's a man uh, I think is really good and it really is like one of the more important parts of why that film is so funny for me is the way that it's cut together and the way that um, he also does a good job I think of like chopping up the uh, ad-lib bits uh, more so than someone say like um, Paul um, Feig does with his (laughs) ad-libs like I think they do a good job of cutting off the ad-libs at the right moment and like you know letting them get just enough in there to be very funny but then like cut it forward and let the story keep going so I think that's a it's a really good, uh, really important part of why I laughed so much at Girls Trip. Yeah, because it's not any, really any shorter than mm. the others. It's still like a two-hour movie, but it doesn't have the same 
laborious pace for me at all. That uh, a lot of those yeah. vegan. <laughs> uh, it's that Apatow influence. They Apatow. like to just watch it run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you have something mm-hmm. like uh, the Bad going. Mom's Christmas, where they just keep it going and going and like leaving them breaking <laughs> and stuff and leaving like every single ad lib they came up with, and then try and pretend it's like the characters oh, laughing. Brutal. But it's not. <laughs> it was the actors. <laughs> you can tell. It's very frustrating. Uh, I believe it. I skipped out on that one. Sounds like I made the well, right choice. <laughs> it's got some redeeming I'm, qualities. I'm committed to the Bad Moms universe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Bad Mom cinematic well, bad universe. Dads. I wonder if yeah. Bad Dads My will ever come out. <laughs> No. Bad Grandmoms is definitely okay. coming out. There's no way that the movie ended the way that it did, and it's not going to oh, have man. Bad Grandmoms, which I would that. definitely watch. The bad Grandmas are better than the <laughs> yeah, bad who's, uh, who, who is the Bad Grandmas? Well, who are the Bad Grandmas? Oh. Do they have the cat? Sarandon, uh, what's her name? Baranski. Yeah, Christina Baranski. Um, yeah, Christine. Cheryl Hines. Christina Baranski and uh, Cheryl Hines. Mm. Although they they might have run into some title trouble because the movie with Pam Greer called Bad Grandmas came out like right at the same time as Bad Mom's Christmas to try and steal some of its thunder really on depressing. Redbox. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. Poor Pam Greer. Poor Pam Greer, I was about to say. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, that's a bummer. Wow. Time for a career resurrection again. Yeah. Yeah. This Charles Manson movie. Yeah, get in there. Uh, So my award for cinematography is uh, going to Jonathan Rieckborg for Death of Louis XIV. Uh, It's uh, good as hell. Really fun. uh, Yeah, it looks really cool. It's obviously styled to look like a pretty upsetting, like, Baroque painting where it's, like, very dark and drab, but like framed like old paintings so it's very funny to watch this like sick old king just like look like he's living in a painting (laughs) but like slowly withering away and (laughs) looking really ridiculous Uh, so it manages to be both like um beautiful and super sad but also very funny i think that the cinematography really underlines like those uh three aspects of the movie in a Real clever way. And, uh, that sums up the tricky balance the movie pulls off very well. It's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, mine is, uh, I guess, not a big surprise. Uh, it's um, Alexis uh, Zabe, I think is his name, uh, for Florida Project. Mm, interesting. Um, I uh, is really paid off to give Sean Baker a bigger budget for the cinematography than just have like three iPhones to film everything with. <laughs> um, yeah. A lot of this movie has a lot of great, uh, lovely tracking shots. Um, uh, it really uses the location to great effect. Um, the colors really pop. Um, it just has a very memorable look altogether. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I guess uh, could have also nominated The Wall. I could have also nominated Nocturama, also really, really fun cinematography. Uh, but Florida Project is like the movie that I can picture really, really well when I close my eyes. So. Yeah, I like the, um, there's, uh, they make 
repeated use of like very long kind of like panning takes from far away from the uh motel that mm. you know seem like they would have been very difficult to stage especially the one where like people are coming out at different points in the uh because of the fire or whatever yeah yeah. 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 yeah that is a good <laughs> sequence Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, pretty fun. Or also, I think they do a similar thing with the yeah, when they shut off the electricity, and it's like mm-hmm. uh, people coming out in different amounts and all yelling. Yeah, I, while he's walking around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the hell am I paying you for? Fix this shit. <laughs> all right. All right. And then when it when it switches to like looking at him from the other side Not when he's right. walking uh, back. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, no. Keep the Florida project going. <laughs> so much Florida project love on this podcast. It's great. Uh, my best cinematography award is going to Sean Price Williams. Not for Good Time. Not for Marjorie Prime. But for Thirst Street. Nathan Zilver's Thirst Street. Um, yeah. Nice. Uh, um, a depressingly slept on Busy movie. Year. Yeah, Sean Price Williams is keeping busy and I love it. Because <laughs> he's great. But, uh, yeah, this movie just completely bombed. It actually got, a, like, a release through Samuel Goldwyn and doesn't have, like, a huge cast by any means, but, like, Angelica Houston narrates it. Uh, Esther Gorell's in it. <laughs> These are sort of big names somewhere. For <laughs> um, <laughs> some people. For some people. Um, oh, and Damien Bernard's in it from uh, Staying Vertical. It was a good year for him as well. <laughs> Two good starring roles. Anyhow, Sean Price Williams, nice. uh, his cinematography is always dependably very great and audacious. Um, lots of nice, intense close-ups. And in this movie about a uh, young woman who uh, whose partner committed suicide and is now kind of in this murky uh state mental health wise living in france and pursuing this man who's probably not interested in her um sean price williams is able to kind of manifest the emotions that are inherent to this text like through his cinematography lots of like i don't know people go around praising those aronofsky close-ups and mother but sean price williams has been on this beat i feel like i feel like he's he's doing something there he's he's seen these sean price williams movies um in gorgeous colors, these kind of like very ethereal, circian um, blues and reds that bring kind of this hyper reality and call everything into question about the perspective. Um, very smart, efficient cinematography and also quite lush at times. It's great. Thirst Street's great. Hmm. Excited to watch it then. Mm-hmm. Get on it. I think it was my number yeah. 17 of the year. <laughs> numbers they matter (laughs) Um, I don't know exactly what to call this my biggest blind spot soft spot weakness as a critic Uh I uh, have trouble um, uh, being critically analytical when it comes to stuff that looks like home movies Mm. Harry Dean Stanton Watching home movies that he doesn't remember in Paris, Texas, if not my favorite moment in film, is definitely on the short list. And for that reason, in spite of knowing it is more gimmicky, and agreeing with pretty much all of what Mitchell and Basil said previously about this movie, 
I really uh, like looking at Andrew Joe's Palermo's work in a ghost story. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Long lead. Yeah, no, it was exciting. <laughs> uh, could have kept looking at that dumb movie for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Never got bored. And uh, until Will Oldham totally spoiled it, just based on the way it looked, it was like hovering in my top 20, top 10. Yeah, and then I was like, oh no. It's really clued in how stupid this movie is now. <laughs> it's real stupid, but man, I like looking at it. I was just looking at my uh, top five nominations, and somewhat strangely, only one of them actually comes from my top ten. Hmm. Not a good year for the intersection of uh, cinematography and film greatness for me. But since I know it's not going to come up now, I think... I'll just give a shout out to Yorick Lasso for Personal Shopper as well. It's a shot. Yeah. Cool, very shot mm. film. Very <laughs> coolly Ooh, shot film. Mm. Those are words in order. Look at those <laughs> thumbs move. <Yep. laughs> tip top, tip top. <laughs> Maybe someday somebody should write a movie for David Lowry because I feel like he always has some nice looking images, but his ideas are always yeah. a little faulty, and uh, he needs—it's a nice dragon. Yeah, exactly. That dragon's great looking, <laughs> a real specimen. Um, and Ain't Them Body Saints is a very boring, dumb movie, but it's pretty. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's it usually is. pretty. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I saw that one at a uh, sidewalk one yeah. year. Yeah, <laughs> that was a real boring movie yeah um very boring very boring um i don't know he needs a new collaborator so. he needs a new friend in his life write him some scripts <laughs> <laughs> all right well my winner for cinematography is roger deakins for blade runner 2049 Deeks. um also and good choice. i uh, i yeah. want to highlight his lighting mm. because i think that's one of the biggest things that a cinematographer has to look up for is the way that his scenes are lit. What? And I think that <laughs> a lot of those scenes were particular, lit. <laughs> Yeah, in particular like he um he ends up not lighting them the way that a lot of special effects movies light things where they have someone standing against a green screen and they just you know put the light in later like they actually went through and properly lit the um you know the the light coming out of people's faces especially in the the scene that i'm thinking of is the one where ryan gosling is standing on the bridge and the giant holographic woman is like talking to him he's got this like pink light flowing over his face and it's like they actually lit that like there was some you know gigantic thing there and like the whole space behind him is lit properly too so he's not just you know, standing in front of like a giant, gr like green screen monstrosity that doesn't project the proper light for the situation, you're actually getting to see him like bathed in this atmosphere, and I think that that's, you know, one of the strongest points of this whole movie is that the way that it like bathes you in the atmosphere of where the character is going, because it's it's sort of an exploration movie. It's sort of a like okay, we're gonna go to this location here we're gonna see what las vegas looks like in this you know dystopian future we're gonna see what the you know the the like farmland looks like in this mm. dystopian future we're gonna see all these different environments and we're gonna see how like that atmosphere just bathes these characters in these different looks and different lights and 
you know, Deacon's really, like, he really handles it deftly. I mean, unsurprisingly, I think, because he's fantastic, but it's incredibly, like, wonderfully handled. Ah, uh, man. He... Yeah. I was... Yeah, go ahead. That's all. Uh, I was just going to say another aspect of the lighting for me that always really works, especially, uh, uh, is, like, his use of negative space. Like, he'll have light scenes and then very, uh, like, he has really stark contrasts that I think work really well. There's a few different shots in the movie where, like, parts of a scene are lit and then, like, there's, like, just, like, a beam of black, like, right in the center of the screen that's, like, gives the composition, like, a really weird dynamic feel. And, uh, I mean, having just recently the other day rewatched Zodiac, I like it a lot better than Fincher's look, which is, like, kind of an all-over light, but, like, with a weird mm. shadow on mm. it where, like, every, you know, everyone looks like they're, like, lit, but also in the dark at the same time everywhere. Mm. And I think it's a, mm. a silly way to light a movie, but... <laughs> this is number f- number five for me? Yeah. You actually movie. just reminded me that uh, for uh, best supporting actor, uh, could have also used Harrison Ford in Blade Runner mm-hmm. Forty Nine. Nice. He was also really, really good. Real surprise. Never usually liked him in anything. He's pretty smug. Like, ever. Yeah. So he's got a bad yeah. attitude. <laughs> my my parents hated him. Like whenever we watched movie with Harrison Ford, they want to turn him off the minute he was on screen. Wow. Yeah. Like vicious hate. Yeah. He's very American. My mo- That's why the beginning of Temple of Doom is the best moment in his entire career. I can't remember the name of the film, but he's like, maybe next time, Hong, and then he closes the door and it says Hong Airlines. <laughs> that is a good joke. All right. Yep. So and he's yeah he's able to sell because he's so self pleased with himself as he closes the door yeah. on the trap to yep. his death. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on mm-hmm. to script. My uh, winner for best script is uh, Hong Sang Soo for yourself and Ooh. yours. Uh, I think it plays a lot of fun games with the. Uh, audience expectation and the way that uh, it kind of invites you in and then also keeps you at arm's length from the female protagonist so that you're never quite sure whether she's being genuine in every scene or whether (laughs) she's sometimes trolling people when she pretends or maybe not pretends to not recognize someone she just met earlier in the movie and uh, that the kind of uh, play of inscrutability is always very very funny and uh the kind of uh structure of it that uh, yeah i mean it's about the same things a lot of his movies are in terms of uh men and their uh failing to relate successfully to women but uh i think that this might actually be his best or one of his very best uh, tacks at it. I think it adds a lot more to it. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a very clever premise. He's, he's assembled a really ideal scenario to explore his usual themes with in yourself and yours. Uh, this lady is able to like, reduce herself so much knowing that 
like <laughs> these dudes just want kind of a sounding board for their own sad emotions to bounce <laughs> off of her <laughs> and she can just get away with being like nope i'm not that same person you don't know me <laughs> and then run away <laughs> and pretend Sounds to be a like twin sister should start a podcast yeah <laughs> 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 Good stuff. Wish I could have included it on my list. Yep. Maybe, Maybe next, next year. year. Yeah, that's true. I guess we're already in this year. Uh, well, I'm yep. waiting. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Ilya. All right. Uh, yeah, this was another category I kind of struggled with, to be honest. Uh, a lot of movies I liked this year were not necessarily because of how well they were written, or not I think that necessarily a lot of them had very memorable scripts. But uh, yeah, so that's why I guess in the absence of uh, a lot of options, I'm also going to give this to The Florida Project. Mm. Um, nice. Because I think that uh, a movie that uh, deals with the themes that The Florida Project deals with, the, the milieu that The Florida Project deals with, um, and the characters it depicts, um, would usually be quite insufferable, uh, or at least incredibly patronizing, or do a lot of other stuff whenever movies try to depict poor people, um, which this movie somehow miraculously avoids, at least for most of the time. Um, so I think uh, maybe Sean Baker, who has been like compared to a lot of like neorealists or whatever, I think actually that one comparison that I haven't seen that as much, but I think is pretty apt is Mike Lee. Mm. I think that uh, he has a similar idea of knowing who his actors are and really adjusting the script to their strengths in a way that I see very few directors do um, so that the dialogue comes off in this naturalistic way. Um, but uh, it really feels very genuine. Um, I think genuine is perhaps the thing that I've, whenever I watch Mark Lee movies always seems to ring out for me. Um, all the actors delivering their lines seem like they're very comfortable with this. This is how they would talk. This is how they would deliver these things. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Overall, I thought that uh, um, it's, a, it's a very complex thing to pull off. And I think that Baker, and I think he has another writer... Uh, credited with him, um, that they pull off really well. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, um, when I watched the movie, I assumed it was something similar to World of Tomorrow, where he kind of recorded them and then, like, you know, mm. finessed them into the situation, but was more or less letting them uh, improvise their lines. Uh, but uh, then I found out that wasn't true, and it made me even more impressed with people like Brooklyn Prince's performance yeah. because uh, child acting is so <laughs> very often really terrible and wooden and unbelievable, which seems silly because, yeah. you know, children are generally much better at pretending than adults, too but in the other <laughs> direction, you stick they're them. too much like yeah. adults and there's yeah. like a weird uncanny valley. It's uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, the fact that, you know, it is actually a fairly tightly scripted movie with uh, performances that believable made me even more impressed with the, mm -hmm. the writing seems very well yeah, yeah I'm, 
starting to get the impression that you like the Florida prospect. Yeah, I don't know what uh, what possible reason you would have for thinking that, but uh, yeah, difficult at hiding it. Real bad at hiding it. All right, Mitch. All right, here it comes. My best screenplay is Unknown Girl by the Darden Bros. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is another one where, as much as I love everything on paper that's going on here, there's good performances, there's something that doesn't quite click for me, and I feel like a lot of people had that same reaction. But that being said, I still really like it a lot, and while other people seem pretty certain about what they don't like about this movie, I still don't really know what it is I don't like about this movie. Or, not don't like, the but that's a... dislike. <laughs> yeah. <element laughs> What's holding me back? Why is this only three stars? <laughs> Uh, one thing that isn't though, that screenplay. It's a good screenplay. <laughs> They're uh, as uh, empathetic and humanist as ever. Um, and I think it's a really apt metaphor for, uh, you know, breaking out of a solipsistic view um, and trying to like embrace the world um, and throw yourself into this kind of globalized world as opposed to, you know, shrinking back and hiding from it and just kind of coasting off of your privileged position um, and the fact that it kind of unfolds in this like pseudo genre e send up of like this sort of detective narrative I think is very bold especially for directors <coughs> who have never done anything close to this in their career previously well maybe not that far but it is the most genre eest thing they've done yet um, and it's pretty cool that they've mm. jumped into this uh, this late in their career and also still try and kind of jam in their normal themes and this big bold commentary about the way the world is now uh, and I think it works um, it, it, it all just meshes together in a way that I found pretty pleasing what didn't please me I don't yeah. know <laughs> I, I'm, in the, I'm in the exact same boat and Ruben and I talked about it also we're like this feels like a minor Darden yeah. but I don't know why what's <laughs> the deal <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it but, uh, yeah, the f one thing that I was going to say that I, uh, I just thought of is that building off what you're saying about Detective, uh, it, now I understand the costuming and find it very funny that she's wearing the same yeah. coat the whole movie, but it's not at all a trench coat. It's just like I mean, sort of tweed looking thing. Yeah, really nice coat. yeah that's a yeah. good call. Oh, what a good performance. Mm -hmm. Okay. Speaking of scripts, <laughs> uh, my winner, of course, would be Oscar Farhadi for The Salesman, but uh, I'm going to talk about Scott Lobdell for Happy Death Day. Oh, man. <laughs> Boom. It's uh, uh, obviously like a pitch premise film like I've discussed in the past, but I think the script has enough ingenuity to keep that premise from ever getting stale. Most obviously in the double twist, but mm. also the inclusion of the new element of sustained trauma through the multiple experiences of the same day. Mm. Um, but I also think that it's, uh, as you all know, something that I like a lot is the show Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And something you may know from me having said it is that uh, the inspiration for 
that movie slash show started with the idea of like seeing the horror trope of like women going into dark rooms or down dark hallways or whatever and uh being like what if instead of getting killed they got their you know they kicked ass they they kicked the ass Mm -hmm. of the killer and it's like what if not that and that was basically (laughs) the level of interrogation brought to uh season one of buffy the vampire slayer why it gets better as the show goes on it's Mm -hmm. like what if what if not that and this movie is not what if not that it's kind of interrogating i think very subtly our Mm. own desire often to see these women killed Mm. and after giving us the pleasurable scenario Mm. of watching tree get killed over and over again it sort of posits hey maybe if this person was allowed to grow up a little bit you wouldn't hate them and like you could just be nice to them and maybe they could deal with some of their issues and then you know they'd be a good person uh but (laughs) you don't ever give them that chance talking about uh earlier talking about uh our mistreatment of young women in Mm -hmm. cinema i think this is a nice movie that's like hey dummies that mean girl trope that you really you know ride on and kind of enjoy in horror movies it's deeply misogynist maybe think about that mm-hmm. <laughs> she wasn't yeah. really good at being mean though <laughs> yeah yes, I had fun with that. she was very good at rolling her eyes at people <laughs> <laughs> it's a good movie although i actually although i appreciate the double twist ending i also thought that reducing the main killer's motivation to her being Jealous because of this doctor or whatever is a little bit blah. So, sure. Yeah. But I still, it's that was another Cloverfield situation mm. with me. Like, I went into 10 Cloverfield mm. Lane and I was like, there's aliens. And then about halfway through the movie, I was like, wait, <laughs> are there not any aliens? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, there's aliens. And the same thing happened with this. I was like, the first scene, I was like, oh, that's the killer. Yeah, and I was right. Like, Oh. It was not? <laughs> oh, it's not the killer? And I was like, oh, no, no, no. They tricked yeah. me. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, that's that's exactly the same way I felt, so. Yeah, it's, it's all good. <laughs> all funny. Uh, like, super obvious red herring, yeah. and then they mm-hmm. be like, ha. Speaking of a 2017 year of the soft boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Ooh, the softest of all oh, boys. Ew. Let me, let me, yeah, I was on the list, but let me pull up the review. It's so good. Do, do, do. Sorry for the clicking. This comes from friend of the podcast, PD187. Um, okay, Ethan. Mr. Ethan himself. Anybody saying this wasn't scary because it's essentially bloodless can't imagine waking up hungover again and again and again in the bed of a guy with a mystery science theater poster. <laughs> While you were reading that, I remembered that review. That was really good. Hashtag, you're the soft boy. <laughs> <laughs> a fucking poster. The one thing I will say in that character's favor is that like, at least he's willing to do something to try to earn this love that he feels sure. somewhat entitled yeah. He Not gets himself nice killed. nice soft boy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. If only more soft boys would get themselves killed. <laughs> <laughs> the <Year's> resolution. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, well, my winner for best screenplay is Get Out by Jordan Peele. Um, 
I, uh, I really like what Dan said about it, actually. It's, it's amazing to see how well all of these horror tropes work when they're placed in the context that he places them in. So it's like, oh... Um, let's use these because it's it's very clear to me that Jordan Peele is one of those people who's very aware of the tropes of the genre and he's clearly a fan and he's he's using them not in the way that I think a lot of uh, you know like hot young filmmakers coming out of the gate try and use them like they're Quentin Tarantino where it's just like references he's actually mm-hmm. using them in a different context and giving them a different meaning thus and I think that that's a really clever way of taking all of these, you know, uh, these uh, cultural touchstones of a genre that, you know, has, I don't know, it's it's one of those genres that people often obsess over in terms of movies. Like horror has its own sort of insular little landscape a lot of times. And to take that landscape and to be like, all right, we're going to transpose this onto a very real landscape that's part of my world and you're going to see how much these things overlap. And I, I think that that's super clever and, you know, extremely necessary uh, in terms of the current film landscape. And I'm glad that it found the audience that it did and it hit as big as it did. And I've, I'm really looking forward to mm-hmm. what he brings to the next project that he decides to, you know, uh, yeah. bring bring yeah. to the screen. Uh, I was... Yeah. I was going to say this reminded me in the opposite way of what uh, Ruben was talking about with The Shape of Water, which is a movie full of details that are essentially meaningless and don't do anything to build the world. I would say that Jordan Peele, very smart with his script, he spent a lot of time, I mean, almost to the point of it being like a little mm. too cute and overdetermined, <laughs> but I still, I still really appreciate how, yeah. how much, you know, thought he went into weaving a lot of different details together and making them all reinforce his like central themes and ideas and build that way yeah also the sunken place is a fun uh metaphor yeah uh (laughs) 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 goofy (laughs) fun is what it is uh now a prominent uh, cultural Yep. Horseshoe theory of script writing. Ooh. He was the script was really good, and then he started to go a little too far. <laughs> started to become bad again. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's yeah. a very good script too. <laughs> very smart. Uh, then, uh, rather than moving on to best oh. director, <laughs> here it is, Ruben. We've been waiting. It's Ryan oh Johnson. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. That came out of nowhere. Nice. Wow. <laughs> Blown away. Boom. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm working somewhat from the uh, thing that um, Ruben has often used to talk about directing. And uh, of course, it is somewhat graded on a curve, but I think this is far and away the best acted Star Wars movie. It's. Uh, pretty i'm pretty on board for a ton of the performances for a while uh i was planning to do um uh adam driver for best supporting actor he might still be my winner even Uh, i think that uh that was what i thought it was gonna uh, be (laughs) yeah yeah that uh 
the way in which him and uh, Daisy Ridley have like a kind of strange chemistry that uh, I was really on board for all those scenes. Uh, the way in which he delivers like the part when talking about the parents like, uh, you're nothing, you're nobody, <laughs> but not to me. <laughs> like the but not to me, the way he uh, just like flicks that out there. I was like, so many other actors would lean into this in like a really embarrassing way, but yeah, exactly. But then, you know, like, but he mixes it up in such like strange ways that are like always really compelling to me. Like later on in the movie, uh, Mark Hamill's trying to apologize to him. He's like, I'm sorry I let you down, Ben. And he's like, I'm sure you are. (laughs) Just like, like how ferocious and like unexpected he is when he does it is, uh, pretty great and like you know the the performance would be easy to turn into like something really embarrassing you know like the way he's like so intense about things and like a worse actor would really not carry it off but I was like really magnetized the whole time uh but it doesn't just uh, you know he's my favorite but I think that uh Boyega does some good work uh you know, I think that the chemistry between him and Kelly Marie Tran, who I liked a, a whole lot, uh, really came together for me. And uh, Mark Hamill, even. Like, yeah. I, I can't not laugh every time I think of him drinking that gross milk. <laughs> it's and, like, come! at Daisy Riddler. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> like, like, it's like, it's a really, really smart like face because he makes this grimace (laughs) but like he also looks he's looking daisy ridley right in the eyes when he does it and he makes this really self-satisfied grimace of like yeah this is disgusting there's like (laughs) weird jizz milk like running down his beard and he's like but this is my life this is what i and this is what you came here to see here's luke skywalker (laughs) yeah it's really obvious but i also like the moment when he throws the lightsaber over his shoulder what's this (laughs) I don't want it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, I think Laura Dern's really good. Uh, Her interplay with Oscar Isaac is pretty enjoyable. The way she has, like, a weird smile when she says, may the force be with you. I was like, oh, she's taking this, like, really stupid line that's, like, carried through, like, the whole (laughs) series and, like, made me actually feel the weight of it. And I was like, that's cool. Way to go, Dern. She's a pro. uh, She darn it. Uh, yeah. She darned real good. Uh, <laughs> she darned it. Then, uh, oh, and even a performance that I didn't like, uh, he gets to end on a really good note, and that's uh, Del Toro. I find his stutter like way too affected and pretty annoying, but the way that he ends it when they're like, hey, you're wrong about us. And he's like, maybe. <laughs> and then he just walks away. <laughs> 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 And uh, someone described this movie as uh, uh, Sergio Leone-esque, and I think that that is exactly right. I think uh, more than any other Star Wars movie, Ryan Johnson really knows how to frame things and, like, use close-ups, which has not really been a mainstay of the series, but, you know, the way it cuts from, like, intense close-ups of, uh, like, Adam Driver's eyes to, like, his, his, like, gloves, like, gripping really hard and, like... I was like, oh, it is totally like Sergio Leone. He's just building like really crazy close-ups all on top of each other in a really satisfying way. Can I watch this movie without having watched the last one? Because I didn't watch the last one. Cause, the Force Awakens. Yes, because everyone. Yeah, I mean, it. you know, 
I think part of what's good about the movie is how it builds on <laughs> previous things. But okay, uh, uh, so that means I have seen. to watch the other ones that are terrible. Apparently, yeah, uh, you don't have to. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean Haley just, hadn't seen Force yeah, Awakens. Just look and up she's the major like plot Jedi points, fine. and then you'll be filled in. Okay, I can read the Wikipedia summary or yeah, whatever. Yeah, read the wiki summary. <laughs> you'll be filled in. That'll, That'll be Wikipedia good. Wikipedia summary. <laughs> 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 all right and then uh yeah i mean the the salt thing is pretty cool looking it's a great great idea red and white all over the place really like that look uh, so i have to see this now <laughs> <laughs> you don't I'm have feeling, to do anything <laughs> i'm feeling obligated yeah me too <laughs> the obligations me descending too. upon me <laughs> i'm not taking this Best director nod lightly. No, nor I. I feel yeah. a great weight on my shoulders. <laughs> yeah. It's the weight of the force. It's true. Out. Would you say that you've always felt it, but that there's something in you right now mm. that you need to be trained, mm -hmm. learn how to use mm -hmm. it? Yep. 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 <laughs> Help me. Um... Yeah, um, I like the scene where Daisy Ridley is in the cave, and there's a thousand Daisy Ridleys. Oh yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I really like that. The the snapping especially is very unsettling. Pretty cool. All right. I mean, the movie is oh. too long. It shouldn't be two and a half hours. It feels like it ends like three or four times, <laughs> but that's what's kind of keeping it from. But it's it's actually much closer to my top ten than I'm super Whoa. comfortable. With. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with my heart. I watched it twice. Oh, that's crazy. And you liked it the second time? I liked it more. Yeah. I liked it more Good the nice. second time. Which was unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. A lot of people watched this movie two times. So. Um, Not enough. Um, yeah. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, my award for best director this year will be similar to Patrick's, I think, last year. It will be a cumulative director award for... Uh, I think he did it with acting. I don't remember. Yeah. Yes. I was trying yes. to think of a joke. Yes. Answer. That was perfect. Well done. Uh, I'm not sure who, the wokest of all who did even more. No, it's going to be Doug Lyman, though. Um, uh, predictably, uh, the man who directed yeah. two of my favorite movies of the year. Um, and who who's... Yeah, weird career revival I've been really enjoying ever since um, Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go and rewatch Swingers, and I don't think I'm going to rewatch Go either. Uh, but I might want to. I've never watched any of them, so maybe um, I'll watch it and I'll tell you if they're good. You should both watch yeah, Swingers. Yeah, don't, really like don't though. <laughs> I mean, the, both of those movies are movies I watched the shit out of when I was like 15 or sure. 16 or whatever. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, I'm again, uh, a lot of things that I already mentioned. I think uh, uh, his collaboration with Tom Cruise has yielded a lot of uh, good things. Uh, you might feel uh, uncomfortable about that due to who Tom Cruise is as a person, which I find absolutely understandable. Scientology mentioned number two. Yeah. Um, We're going clear. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, even like just him kind of reestablishing his like political views this year 
if it wasn't already apparent maybe with Edge of Tomorrow, which was very subtle in that regard, much more of a media narrative and like a Tom Cruise meta commentary and like a overall like genre meta commentary than anything else. Like in this year, he really came out as uh, pretty staunchly anti-imperialist, which is, uh, I think, a significant thing for a Hollywood director to really come out uh, with. Um, so, I don't know. I'm really curious about whatever his next thing is going to be. Uh, I've heard that Edge of Tomorrow is supposed to get a sequel. Yep. Um, I'm not... Yeah, he's been talking about that for I a while. I mean, I'm, I'm simultaneously excited and, uh, yeah, uh, watching yeah. it with trepidation. So, we'll see. Only if it's... Well, first of all, if it's directed by him, but I would prefer if it was a sequel that's not any of the same characters. Well, Tom right. Cruise is going to be in it, so well, maybe it'll be an American he has horror to play a story different situation. Yeah. <laughs> He's just playing a completely different dude. <laughs> be like a Chow Yun Fat and Better Tomorrow too, where his character died in Better Tomorrow, so he's like from his twin brother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a great trick. Best trick. But uh, yeah, I. Uh, I thought it was pretty incredible of whatever studio put it out that like one of the most incisive lines in the movie is like also the tagline that's right on the poster, which is, it's not illegal if you're doing it for the good guys. <laughs> <laughs> Great Dom Hall as well. Oh man. Fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, also just found out yeah. that the, my, my previous editing award for The Wall that editor also edited Blue Ruin and Green Room. Yeah, oh, nice. <laughs> no Very cool editor. Yeah. <laughs> How's he doing? She. How's Julia. she doing? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Expert at generating tension. <laughs> Is she doing his new one? It's coming out this year. I'm very excited uh, for that. Didn't look like it. But maybe it's just not on IMDb yet. Oh, bummer. She also did Woodshock this yeah. year. How's the editing in that? Oh, that's a fun movie. <laughs> I missed it. Uh, it's it's not bad. Uh, I don't know. It, it was a it was a very odd two and a half star movie mm-hmm. for me. Where there were parts about it that I was like, oh, this is cool, and then other parts where I was like, this is not cool. <laughs> <laughs> they went really hard into that drug aesthetic. I think they totally landed it. Yeah. They're like, yeah. what if the movie was like, you were high, and so Whoa. it doesn't totally make sense. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this lady is editing the next Jeremy Saulnier movie. Good stuff. Yeah, And Macon Blair's Go, back. lady. <laughs> Julia Block is her name. I know, One to but watch. it's fun to say, go, lady. <laughs> <laughs> go, lady. <laughs> Uh, Mitchell? Uh, yes. My best director is uh, the previously discussed Frederick Wiseman for Ex Libris. <laughs> <Yeah>. Frederick Wiseman's the best. He's always the best director. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> deep in his career, I agree. Can, uh, <laughs> this deep in his career, he can like keep making what is technically the same movie but is always consistently <laughs> enthralling and never bad. I have yet to see a Frederick Wiseman movie I don't like. 
Um, and this is the best version of it. Yeah, entirely. In my opinion. No, no. I he's know. also like 92 years old or whatever. Like, it's <laughs> yeah, he's super old, and he's still doing it. Um, and like, we're almost getting one a year. Doing all of it. Everything. It's amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, I love the message of this movie where he discussed like the humanist element quite a bit, but that's great. But I mean, you know, you can. He's he's kind of all hands on deck with his movies and. Uh, I mean, it was also an obvious editing award choice, but I opted to give him director instead because he says that you can call hundreds and hundreds of hours and he forms these like really great organic narratives out of them. Um, and he just always knows where to focus and he always knows how much attention to give each speaker and gives everyone room to voice their own opinions. Uh, it's always very smart filmmaking. It's considerate. It's thoughtful. Uh, and it's it's important. It's, um you know. It can be embarrassing to throw around the word important for a lot of movies, but I feel like Frederick Wiseman's work is always consistently important. He's fighting the good fight. Love him. It's great. Yeah. Yes. It'll be basically <coughs> one of the saddest days of my life when he dies mm. because I don't know if anyone is capable of picking yeah, up truly. this mantle. And well, it's actually it's like very necessary. Film very happy to see that he's actually 88 instead of 92. So <laughs> four more years of Frederick Wiseman, hopefully. And also, they just put every single Frederick Wiseman movie up on Canopy. You can watch all of them now. Yeah, you have well, a library cool. card. Yeah. Nice. I go get a library. Yeah, I know if mine would work. Hopefully, it would. <laughs> But um, maybe not. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I'm excited. Worth a shot. All of them. <laughs> it's a lot of hours. Yeah. Okay. Hello. So, um, as Basil mentioned, I often try to highlight directors who, you know, uh, do good acting. Sometimes I also like to talk about it from an auteurist perspective. Uh, but I'm going to do a third thing this year. Um, I want to give my award, well, the winner is Oscar Farhadi for The Salesman, but I'm going to give my award to Leon Crunch and Adrian Molina for Coco. Whoa. Um, Ooh. Nice. Another Fun. big movie that I think is mm -hmm. smarter maybe than people want to give it credit. Um, mostly I don't want to talk about Leon Crunch, though. I just want to talk about Adrian <coughs> Molina, who co-wrote and co-directed this, and unlike Moana, the detail to Latinx culture really shows. Uh, it's a perfect example of why whitewashing is actually bad instead of just a buzzword. The film mm -hmm. trusts its audience to learn about the culture, the family, the nuances, which is ultimately what makes the strip script stronger than it would be otherwise because like Happy Death Day, I figure out the twist the second <laughs> you can the first <laughs> second that you can figure it out i'm like oh this is where this movie's going mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. uh in terms of all those details it's really uh impressive which is why i liked it so much and uh it's funny patrick and i were talking about this movie and even though neither of us speak spanish as far as i know we both far prefer the spanish songs in this movie to the english ones uh -huh. um and the reason i think is because of how deep into the culture this movie actually is, which is cool. That is cool. <laughs> yeah. That's what makes it a good, detailed movie, yeah. as opposed to Moana, which was kind of bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's Leon Cridge doing there? <laughs> Still got a couple questions about that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Too bad this is like the least liked uh, Pixar movie in a while, right? Oh, that can't be true. Mm. Only Cars by Bobby came out dinosaur. this year. <laughs> Cars 3 was very close. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. but like, did not really receive like a lot of uh, love, I guess. Well, by box office, but I'm guessing mm. that maybe there's a very vocal Latin subculture who supports this movie because it's very high on IMDb's top 250. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. We're maybe just voting it up and up over and over again. That's cool. And good for them. It also yeah. has a 98% on Yeah, it just like so didn't get like a lot of like big like awards buzz or anything like that. So it's just And like, the whole mm. cast is Latin too. Yeah. Mm. Probably that's why. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm I'm assuming that it's you know like a shoe in to be nominated for best animated feature. Obviously, like that's of the two pretty... animated features, the one that appeared on my bottom ten, <laughs> and the one that's my number sixteen of the year. I prefer this one. It's actually going to be uh, the Nut Job Two, <laughs> yeah. Nutty by Nature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh, so what a surprise! <laughs> Yeah, I definitely stand corrected. It already won the Golden Globe and the Critics' Choice Award and the New York Film Critics Circle Award. So it's just in Germany that this movie has not really been that big, which is, I guess, not very surprising due to the very lack <laughs> of a Latino population here. So. Yeah. Specifically uh, Mexican culture, I think, because yeah. yeah. specifically it's, Mexico. It's Mexican. So, yeah. yeah, right. Mexico. <laughs> so, <laughs> Probably not a lot of Mexican people in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> I am near one of the only burrito places in all of Bavaria, so oh, man. if that tips you off. Precious. <laughs> yeah. Um, Based on the novel Push by Sapphire? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, slam dunk. Oh, boy. Uh, I think uh, Coco is also okay. very well edited, actually, and very nice use of lights too. Uh, yeah. Things I don't normally pick yep. up on in an animated movie, but I'm like, wow, all the lights are really nice and realistic looking, and the uh, editing's pretty fun in the action sequences. So, yeah, too bad it, it wasn't released last year with the, uh, or I guess the dog's not dead, but he's, uh, yeah, he's a, a, an afterworld spirit <laughs> oh, creature. Yeah. So we have another almost dead dog, I guess. <laughs> Did you get to see it with the Olaf shirt short? No. no me neither. <laughs> I didn't, oh, I wow. didn't see it with that either. <laughs> All right. Um, my best director is Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird. Whoa. Um, and I wanted wow. to highlight basically a, a director making a movie about themselves. Uh, <laughs> they <and> sure did. <laughs> the, level, the level of uh, self-awareness to make... A, to create a, a character based on themselves that is not totally likable um, in a lot of situations and to really lean into the idea that you know not only did you have a lot to learn at that point in time but you probably still have a lot to learn and uh, a lot to you know um, explore in terms of your relationships with the people that you love and I like that this movie is kind of open-ended as to where uh, Christine and her mother stand at the end, where it's like she sends her that letter, but we don't ever actually see the mother reading it. We don't, you know, ever see any sort of reconciliation between these two people. And I like that Greta Kerwig, like, doesn't go for the very obvious, like, tug on the heartstrings, like, I love you, mom, I love you, daughter, moment. She leaves that very open-ended, and 
um, sort of gives you the idea that there's more to explore than this like big cathartic moment of you know oh I, saying I love you for all the sacrifices you made there's there's still a lot of life to be lived after that and there's still you know a relationship to build and you know things to be explored between these two people and I, I think that that level of self-awareness about who you are and where you've come from is pretty exceptional and I really enjoyed this movie because of that. It's a very nice reading. Yeah. I enjoyed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed your reading. I, uh, yeah, I found out last night that somehow, weirdly, she's nominated at the DGA for Best Director, but not Best First Time Director. Because <laughs> it's her second. Well, it's not her nope. first film. <laughs> They're respecting that, unlike everyone else. <laughs> Uh, yeah, good for them. <laughs> Nights and weekends is really good. Everyone's like, ah, oh, what a debut. <laughs> uh, Special awards. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, I'll start mine off. Uh, it is the uh, movie that is not actually good, but uh, was most promising to me about the potential of that person making a movie that I like in the future and that was uh, Theo Anthony for mm. Rat Film mm. uh, it's uh, very clearly indebted to Chris Marker and uh, I think it's an extremely ambitious project that he kind of uh, bungles the <laughs> the execution of uh, where you know it's a short movie but it's like 83 minutes long, but uh, about an hour into it, I was like, oh, why isn't this movie over yet? It's boring. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's some straggling pieces and some odd ideas that come through in the movie. And I was like, well, he's pretty young. So I feel like if you keep honing this this marker aesthetic and kind of like broaden your knowledge base and deepen it, then maybe you'll come up with something real cool because I like the idea of like um, applying uh, marker-esque philosophical political ideas to America who country that doesn't really get that kind of cinematic analysis yeah somebody's got to start carrying that marker torch forward <laughs> no one true. does Maybe with less exotifying of Asian people. Well, yeah, not that part yeah. of the aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> Let that die. Get it out of here. The good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the good shit, man. The communist stuff, for example. Yeah. 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 That made Last Bolshevik much easier to love than most of his other yep. movies. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, uh, so my uh, worst uh, special category was the worst best song, so my best special category is the best worst song, and uh, definitely the worst song that I really, really loved against my better judgment was the song scene from Spotting 2, No More Catholics Left, sung by Ewan McGregor, and the guy who plays Sick Boy, uh, when Sick Boy plays like two chords on the piano and Ewan McGregor starts singing this song about uh, killing Catholics 
<laughs> in front of this uh, very outrageous crowd uh, in that Scot in that Scottish uh, 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 no name building um, and uh, yeah Protestant yeah it's uh, really fun like a really fun scene really love everything how it develops and I really love the fact that this song is total shit but they really sell it <laughs> so well and uh, another reason why Ewan McGregor is like a total fucking star um, is how much he sells that uh, bit of song that they managed to come up with. Um, and uh, yeah, just uh, uh, the fact uh, that it ends with them uh, running away like 12 year olds or whatever <laughs> and like getting in that car is uh, like one of the movie's like sheerly more fun parts. The rest of this movie is for a good reason, not as fun, <laughs> mostly kind of depressing, um, and a good movie overall. Also, mm -hmm. just barely slipped my top ten. Yeah. Respect to T2. Yeah. Never thought it would be good. And it's really good. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Danny Boyle's back. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to see whatever he comes out with next, even though it probably will be bad again. The J. Paul Getty yep. show on AMC. Sunshine too. <laughs> well, no thanks. Sunshine too. They have to fly to the sun again. <laughs> we left some stuff behind. <laughs> <laughs> Slumdog two millionaire. <laughs> He's poor again. <laughs> He's got to win some more money. Now he has to go on Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> <laughs> All the letters trigger memories. Huh? <laughs> 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 um, well, for my special award, I was just going to do the inverse of my other one, but I feel like... Yep. Um, you know, all of that's pretty inherent to what I'm talking about with all the movies in my, like, top five. So I'm not doing that. And I'm going with a silly one to highlight two performances I liked this year. Uh, I'm giving this award to uh, uh, best performance, best comeback performances by um, people playing schlubby older men with big glasses. <laughs> I'm talking Adam Sandler and Sandy Wexler and Denzel Washington and Roman J. Israel. <laughs> Esquire. Nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, in terms of the Sandy Wexler, I keep wanting to talk about it because it's kind of a bad movie overall and it's too long and there are too many cameos. But um, it's also, like, the movie where I finally sort of get the Armand White, like, love, and I sort of get the, uh, the, the, the generally contrarian criticism about him. It's sort of like a nice homage to the late Jerry Lewis. He's basically just playing Jerry Lewis, and he eats a lot of meat. Um, but in keeping with that, too, he's on the act. It's a running gag because um, it's set in the past um, but uh, yeah I don't know it was nice uh, I feel like a lot of his movies get very mean spirited and ugly and so it's hard to kind of uh, stomach the childish humor there but it's nice it's just a sweet movie about uh, uh, the upsides of show business and how you can you know live a life in show business and be a good friend still and cultivate good relationships uh, and then you know Roman J. Israel uh, it's really nice to see Denzel like actually acting again and you can tell that he and 
uh, Gilroy really like put this this character together and worked hard on it, and it's got such a very unusual character arc. I really wanted to like the movie more. I certainly don't dislike the movie either. It's just um, so off the beaten path from anything I've seen as of late, especially in like the Hollywood sphere. But uh, it's it's very well realized. Some good performances. Gilroy once again knocking it out of the park with car chases, where he thinks he's being chased by a car, yeah. but he's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very intense and unnerving. Yeah. I also like Denzel in that movie. Yeah. I want some glasses yeah. like that. That's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was inspired by Sandy Wexler and Roman J. Israel to get those glasses this year. Yeah. I want that maroon Ooh, suit. That is wild. Good maroon suit. <laughs> it's going to start dressing like Roman J. Israel. <laughs> Fashion icon for 2018. <laughs> when you said Adam so Sandler, really? I thought you were going to talk about him in the Myrovitz No, no, no. <laughs> Long movie um, he made about Hollywood. Okay, I had one more trick on my bad in the Meyerowitz stories. Yeah. You're the Sandler. <laughs> the Sandman's back, baby. Oh, Sandler on a comeback. Sandman's yeah. back. I, 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 I said I didn't want him to make any movies two years ago, and now he's like coming back, and I'm like, re-enter Sandman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. This Netflix deal fruitful for him. I think he heard. I think he heard my uh, critique. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, "I'll show him." (laughs) Clutching my pillow tight. (laughs) In an Adam Sandler voice. (laughs) In the Billy Madison voice. Metallica, not a Jew. Guess who is? <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> anyway. Uh, best fictional characters to date. Chris Washington and Get Out. He's so nice. He's a good photographer. <laughs> got a good dog. <laughs> yep. This is true. He's got cool friends. Cool friends who look out for him. Wow. Abby, 20th century women. Oh, sure. Listens to good music. Have a dance party. Yeah. Take you to punk shows. Yeah. She's the best. She's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Dope. Dan Pinto and Ingrid Goes West. Yes. <laughs> I don't even like yeah. the movies that he likes, but he's vaping all oh, the he's time. Oh, he's great. He's, he's great. <laughs> oh, I love Dan Pinto. When you, when you wreck his car. <laughs> such a sweet man. Oh, my God. And you know what? His he should have totally made my forever. supporting actor list as well. He was great in that part. Really his, awesome. Uh, Next one's uh, uh, a little bit too much of a slam dunk, which Basil critiqued the movie for, but Raja, the happiest day of Ali Maki. Oh, sure. What a good girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so supportive. <laughs> so, will you marry me? Are you the best boxer in the world yet? <laughs> All right. <laughs> what a nice movie. And who else could my number one be but Moraine and Personal Shopper? Oh, yeah. It's Kristen Stewart, plus she can talk to ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got a dope sweater collection. Oh, she dresses so Not well in this movie. It's great. Wow. Wow. Please dress me, Marie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pick my clothes out. We can ride around. Where's our best costuming category? We can ride on a scooter uh, together. <laughs> and uh, scooter races. As if... Go sweater shopping. <laughs> be a lot of fun. Play I suppose we're going to hear about that movie later, right? Oh, think so mm. <laughs> yeah that doesn't seem probable just gonna say the name and move on yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
right. Well, um, That's right. I'm a little disappointed that this movie already came up because I didn't think anybody was going to mention it. But uh, it's my movie that I like much more based on the stupid people who hate on it and that's uh star wars the last jedi <laughs> <laughs> nice. because uh i am just i'm tempted to just be like fuck everybody this movie's perfect or whatever and like it's it's really like it's a three-star movie for me it's fine i enjoyed it but like the um, the amount of hate that it gets for all the wrong reasons really really like tips me in the direction of like you know what i just want to like be like no this movie's perfect you're all idiots because the criticisms leveled at it are so stupid and in some cases i've gotten into fights with people about the subjectivity of art based on this movie (laughs) because they are very convinced that this like people are not objectively allowed to like this movie and i'm like that is the dumbest thing i've ever heard anybody say about any sort of art it's like no you can't put objective standards on art because art is you know it's subject to the culture in which it's part of and you know everybody's gonna approach every piece of art with a different standard because they've lived their lives differently and they've had different experiences and no two people can have the same experience and so no two people are going to bring the same thing to a piece of art um, mm. that's, you know... Objectively, fuck. three billboards is bad, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's subjective fact. Not, <laughs> not entertaining any other takes. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say but, uh, the movie itself is bad, but I'm going to say that everybody's love of it is bad. Uh, uh, you all have bad reasons for liking it. There's <laughs> always... You're all every, bad lovers. Everyone, everyone who likes it has bad no reasons good in for bed. liking the it. Bad lovers award. <laughs> I don't, I don't care for your takes on the shape of water. You're dumb. I think I don't want to talk to you. Like there, there are a few people that that do uh, consider like somehow uh, art and or like film in particular uh, objective. I think Murder Mystery Mike is one of them. Uh, That's and uh, it, it's always <laughs> it always like whenever that stuff comes up, it always feels to me like they they think of like it like like sports or something like there's at some point (laughs) someone is just going to score more points and they're just going to be more right than you um uh, sports also isn't objectively right either it's a winner and a loser (laughs) but the winner isn't always the better team Mm. well they're objectively the winner though Yeah. yeah well that's what baffles me even more about this is that like the critics have spoken. It has like a ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so I don't know. What oh, but like, doesn't three billboards have like ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever? Yeah, but no. but like, I don't understand <laughs> what sub like objective criteria they're trying to like apply to Star it made Wars. Made me sad. It's, like, it's the objective criteria. <laughs> I guess so. It's like it destroyed my childhood or whatever. Because that was yeah. kind of the argument that that this one person got into with me where, where he was just like uh, like Luke Skywalker was a character that I based my morality on or oh. whatever and I was like oh you're no a dumb oh, fuck me. you're a very dumb person for doing that <laughs> I was like that's that's incredibly bad and you are bad do you, for doing that do you, do you kiss your sister a lot <laughs> yeah I was gonna say I was like uh, it's incest part of the equation there cause not good not great. <laughs> he should base his morality on this Luke Skywalker and go live in the woods and drink cum all the time. <laughs> and then disappear. This is penance. This is whenever anyone hands him something, just throw it over his shoulder. 
I don't uh, want this. <laughs> well, I, oh, I was going to say real quickly, because I realized I forgot to say it and when I meant to when I talked about Ryan Johnson, but one of the things that I think that the movie does actually do very well that is extremely new to the Star Wars universe is people care when other people yep. die. They care yep. a lot. <laughs> it's very like weird. Kelly Marie. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tran, like the first time we see her, she's just bawling. She's crying because her, sister, got blown her sister just yeah. died. And I was like, well, this is literally never happened <laughs> yes. in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> Remember when Princess Leia's entire planet was destroyed and she was like, she was like no, adventure time now. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still don't Not think a... that they're totally there, but I agree that it's a big <laughs> step in the right direction in terms of actually thinking yeah, I... that people dying is something that matters. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the problem is that like it, the the series didn't start its life as that. Like it was just supposed to be a dumb like you know uh, Flash Gordon knockoff, and then like people got so invested in it, they were like, let's add some weight to this universe, and so they're like slowly like adding more and more. <laughs> Very slowly. Very 40 slowly. years slowly. Yeah. Very slowly. They're getting there. Based on the line I mean, there was a huge uh, gap between making the, the prequels and the original ones. So based on the lineup of I, directors I, coming up directing these movies, it's probably going to backslide a bit after. I mean, you yeah. don't think Ron Howard's going to be able to make a deep, nuanced, emotional text? Ron Pathos oh Howard. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> The Han Solo guy oh, that Disney wanted to fire, yeah. but it was too late. <laughs> Doesn't make me feel confident in this. He's definitely <laughs> he's definitely following in the footsteps of making movies where you already know the ending. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you know that Han Solo and Chewbacca live to fight another day. I never saw the ending of <laughs> no the Beautiful Mind there. coming. <laughs> what a twist! <laughs> yeah. Really rocked my world. <laughs> 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 All right. Now on to the wow, best picture. Yeah. Number ones. <laughs> yep. Uh, four of which have already been made <laughs> But there's one secret Uh-oh. one, one Ooh, hidden one. Hidden uh, but starting with me. So it's Faces and Places, directed by Anya Varda and JR. Um, the mysterious I JR. I think that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I think is really great about this movie is that uh, it's living, it's politics. Like, it's, you know, it's obviously about, like, the working class and kind of the struggles going on in France right now with uh, Macron's anti-union kind of uh, centrism. Uh, and that guy. The people were excited about that because uh, it's not Le Pen, which is a pretty shitty <laughs> way to be in the world. And that, you know, she just goes out and, and does it. It's like a you know, building community through talking to one another and, you know, uh, saying, hey, you're a person, but you, you know, you're really important to the world, and we want other people to see that. Mm. Uh, it's sort of a super leftist, but also, you know, uh, pretty unpretentious in its uh, left politics. Uh, one of the things that... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Haley pointed out that's very funny is, you know, there's the part when they're looking at her old photographs and he's kind of chiding her like, oh, you, you know, you look at these, all these nudes, you didn't, these nude boys, like, you really like the bodies of boys. And she's like, 
nudes are artistic. Like, <laughs> she's just embraced this modernist idea that, like, when you're a young photographer, you want to do art mm. photography, you take <laughs> nude pictures of people. <laughs> It's very sweet. She's very fun. And, you know, their interactions are uh, super charming, super moving. And uh, the way in which it's uh, also about the fact that this might be her last movie because she's slowly losing her eyesight is really, really... I'm getting sad uh, right now. Saddening. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> I like the scene where she sings uh, Ring My Bell. <laughs> <laughs> she sings Ring My Bell in this movie? Yeah, she does. <laughs> it's great. So, um, my little thing for this movie, I wrote that I wanted to talk about optimism, and I can build off something that Mitchell's talked about a lot, which is about our generation and simulcrum and oh. being lost and, like, this is Wonderful a very clear, <laughs> quite literal connection between an older generation that we often look up to in terms of their politics and her quite literally passing it on to a younger generation and being like, hey, now you can go out there and do the work. And there's a moment that's totally corny, but completely lands for me. She spends a lot of the movie telling JR that he should take his sunglasses off because he's living this simulcrum. He's got this image, the JR image that he's got to keep mm -hmm. up. And at a certain point, he's like, here's my gift to you. Takes off the sunglasses. We get a nice close up of his Aww. eyes. And I. I started crying. Mm -hmm. um, I cried many times in this movie. Yeah. Um, the term Trump era will be thrown around a lot with regards to art this year and the coming years, which is a little weird for films especially since most of these were probably started previous to the election. Um, and most films, as Mitchell highlighted on the last podcast, will amount to a sort of lazy, sarcastic response to fake news. Mm. But, intentionally or not, Varda and JR's film is what I actually want to see from Trump-era filmmaking, a real-world-based optimism, a declaration of, we're here, you know? This is, you can pretend the hyper-normalization, you can be like, there's nothing real, but there are real things still in the world. Here's a person that we met, and we're going to print out a really large picture of them <laughs> and put them up on a wall. Yeah. It's there. You can look at it. You can touch it. Things still exist, and they're still worth saving. Mm-hmm. It's a really great movie. <laughs> yeah. Completely agree. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's, it's great that we got this and Ex Libris this year, because I think Wiseman's also great at, you know, creating monuments to everyday people, um, turning them into characters in a way that aren't reductive, everyday but makes them, people. like, uh, memorable. <laughs> uh, I remember them forever. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's great. I saw a lot of films that made me feel kind of optimistic, and it was weird I because I feel kind of pessimistic about my own singular life. But <laughs> I was like, hmm, these movies. Some people have some <laughs> nice ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's doing work. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> As we talked about it before, the sort of interesting. I mean, that's something that Varda's always. Uh, rode the line with is the blurring of documentary and fiction or whatever like she's in the movie playing herself but you know it's still it's still a consciously still a take chosen version of herself and it's pretty great yeah she doesn't want to walk up the stairs she's too old yeah <laughs> and uh yeah and Goddard stiffs her or maybe he doesn't who knows what that, oh, that was <laughs> Actually, part of the 
bother it's not. It's uh, it's fun the way that. Yeah, I mean, people are jumping really on board, like, oh, what a dick. It's like, <laughs> you don't know. She, she's pretty straightforward about this being, you know, a movie that she constructed herself. Yeah. So maybe that was the plan yeah, all along. Make that cats. Joke. Good cats in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. It's true. Can't wait to watch this movie a month from now when it's finally released here. <laughs> so. Oh. It's. Yeah. Yeah. I was oh yeah that reminded me well you could put it on your twenty eight yeah, yeah. yeah. he doesn't do that but he I didn't do that because <laughs> otherwise uh, guess which movie would have won my number one this year <laughs> La La Land oh, <laughs> La La Land <laughs> holy La La Land defender. boom 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 <laughs> but uh, as you probably have already surmised my number one movie for this year. Uh, is the darkest hour? Yeah. The Flowrider Project. <laughs> no, I'm fucking Apple wrong. bottom <laughs> jeans and the boots with the fur. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so it's uh, it is the Florida Project, um, and uh, uh, yeah, I was uh, very uh, uh, this was a very last minute edition for me. I watched this movie literally uh, the last days before the new year ended uh was uh uh getting off a hangover uh <laughs> in berlin and i was like oh wow this movie is streaming because it's also coming out in germany like a month from now or something or two um so i was happy to catch it uh and uh i was ready to just like well i've heard some of the criticism of it you know and was Kind of almost ready to maybe have a con- big contrarian take on it, and the uh, movie pretty much won me over by the first scene, which I talked about briefly before. The scene where these three kids spit all over this car and this other kid, and then uh, mom shows up, and the other mom shows up, and they kind of go back to the other mom's place. And instead of like getting into like a stupid fight or whatever, or like the thing that you would certainly usually. From like a milieu study or whatever the hell, like uh, every time like poverty is depicted on screen, it's supposed to be a milieu study. Um, they just like do dumb stuff. She bumps her cigarette off of her. They talk about how they haven't gotten laid in a while, and it's just like this really weird vibe that this movie gives off. That they just yeah, it doesn't really give a shit about like putting this, these people in a very particular political. Uh, perspective. Uh, a lot of these characters seem to uh, skirt obvious, like, uh, or too cute little political boxes. Um, there's no real, like, stand in for something, although the movie in and of itself does kind of feel very metaphorical for America in some ways. If uh, Willem Dafoe represents, like, the benevolent good government type. Uh, that always like tries to do the right thing, you know, has like a good, puts a good face on everything, you know, um, but also collects your money uh, and is uh, inevitably kind of helpless when it comes to helping you out. You know, he's not going to protect you. He's going to try his best, but in the end, you're kind of uh, there by yourself. Um, and so, yeah, in it, inevitably this movie is pretty pessimistic about what America can be or has been to a lot of its people, especially those that buy into 
a lot of the uh, ideas that America kind of uh, portrays. Um, but I don't know, like all throughout, like I never felt this movie was like glamorizing or sentimentalizing poverty. Um, I don't, I never thought it was just like wallowing in the misery of the characters that are in because I don't feel like the characters are in that much misery. For me, it was like the thing that I remember when I was a kid and I was like living in a communal apartment with uh, like this other weird alcoholic family that was living there with my grandparents and my parents in this one apartment. And I didn't give a shit. Like whenever, whenever I remembered that part of my childhood, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> All of that was awesome. <laughs> and uh, the way that Mooney is played and portrayed in this movie goes exactly the same way. She kind of uh, finds the weird fun in all the little moments that she can get. And uh, it doesn't feel like this movie is making you constantly like belittle her or like, you know, like treat her as less than who she is. Um, and I, again, that's a very narrow kind of line to walk, very complicated thing. Um, I think the movie manages it splendidly. So. And beyond that, it had just a bunch of like moments that just made me laugh really hard when Willem Dafoe watches the two kids eat ice cream, made me laugh <laughs> a lot. Yeah. When they uh, flip off the uh, helicopter, uh, it made me <laughs> laugh a lot. Uh, and a lot of stuff that I've also written down, but I unfortunately my computer is kind of breaking right now, so I can't oh, no. get it. Uh, but there was a bunch of stuff, uh, a lot of scenes that really hit me really well, really hard. So, yeah, I feel very confident with this pick. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I think uh, as someone who grew up in uh, somewhat impoverished, never quite this level, but uh, similar to the aspects I like the most of Moonlight, I think it's very attuned to the real specificity of poverty where... Um, you know, there's a lot of focus on eating, yeah. like eating become, I mean, eating is a preoccupation for all children, but there is like a kind of special preoccupation for it when, uh, you know, it's yeah. relatively scarce or like hard to take it for granted and things yeah. like that. Uh, I think that's a interesting way in which the um, relationship between Ashley and mm. uh Haley plays out uh, in terms of like you know the um, like Haley never knows why Ashley is mad at her so like it's this kind of um, miscommunication in a way that's like oh you know from Haley's perspective it's like oh this person was my best friend and now they just decided that they're better than me because they have this job and I don't and so her her anger, she's petty about it, and it like spirals really far out of control later on. But uh, you know, it's uh, it starts from a place of just like pretty basic uh, two people not talk, uh, not hitting each other at the right spot in terms of communicating, and uh, 
And I think that it's interesting the way people have written about the movie. I'm glad that everyone on the podcast seems mostly on the same page, but that a lot of people have written about Willem Dafoe as if he's like kind of the paragon of the film. Mm. But I don't see it that way. Like, I think that when it ultimately boils down to it, he's still a boss. He's still a manager. He's still made a decision to be part of the apparatus and he feels bad about it and tries to help as much as he can but he's still on the side that is like you know keeping people like this down and that doesn't make him a good I person. I think you've hit on the note why I, other people think he is a good person. They think feeling bad about it isn't <laughs> <a good> person. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I felt that he's trapped. He's trapped and he's doing what he can. But I think that the moment that really hammers that home for me is like when DHS comes to take mm. Mooney away. He's really sad and he goes and like walks away. And then there's like a person like doing something with like a washing machine. And he's like, I'm going to get those fixed. <laughs> and like that's like his way of like mitigating his like yeah. sadness at not being able to control this thing. It's like, well, I can fix washing I love, machines. I love That's that woman's reaction in that scene. She's like, uh, okay. Yeah. And I think this movie does a Go good ahead. job of, of not like giving that you that sort of like, I don't know, the, there's a feeling in sometimes in movies like this where it's like, yeah, but the the children can overcome it with spirit. You know, they overcome the poverty <laughs> with spirit. And here, like, they have these beautiful moments that is totally on the children's you know ability to survive things. But it also shows that like no amount of spirit is going to overcome a ver- this very like real system just breaking your family apart. And there's yeah. like nothing you can really do about it. And I I also feel like the the way that it does sad moments aren't these sort of like big huge sad moments for most of the film it's these little small moments that also kind of feel um rooted in capitalism uh the one i'm thinking of specifically is Mm -hmm. when uh mooney and Haley go to the diner after uh ashley and Haley have sort of Mm. fought and she orders all the Mm -hmm. food and then gets it to go and then just smashes the food on the ground as she's walking away. And I was just like, oh my God. Like it it made me so viscerally sad. And I was like, it's I don't know, there's something about that that idea of just like being so upset that you destroy, you know, your own sustenance. Uh mm-hmm. I, I was like, that's it it it's so rooted in that and I like I don't know, it that affected me maybe more than anything else in the film, weirdly. Um, yeah, I think the ending also... food, too. <laughs> yeah, I think the ending also plays on your idea, like, definitely plays differently as to, depending on how you feel about capitalism. Like, the, the two kids escaping <laughs> to Disneyland in this, like, fervent, like, hyper-real uh, way. is yeah. like, you know, when you're living close to the American dream the whole time, and it's right there in front of you, but... You feel like there's no way you could ever be part of that. Uh, forcing yourself into it uh, seems like, you know, sometimes the last uh, resort that you have. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's only a helicopter right away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I I also think that the 
the little girl calling the woman a ratchet bitch at the very at the very <laughs> beginning it's very funny <laughs> i know that it's like it's a cheap joke to have children swearing but something about that particular phrase being as rooted as it is in sort of like youth culture now like <laughs> having a child say that to someone is so funny to me <laughs> Yeah, I think that that's one of the other things that I like a lot about the script is the way in which it alternates between being like believably the way that children talk to each other, but then also the way in which like children emulate specific language of adults in like very self-conscious ways. That's very. Uh, there's a part where Mooney yells, "Come on, lady, give us a break," <laughs> which feels like very adult, but like yeah. in a believable like a kid would say this. <laughs> Yeah. Uh-uh. Okay. All right. What's happening? Uh, yeah, here we go. Big reveal. No words. We're just gonna text our thoughts. Yeah. Fill in the blanks yourself. It's going to be Olivier Sayas's personal shopper, of course. And be prepared to hear more about simulacrum in our generation. <laughs> that's what this movie's all about. <laughs> um, but unlike a lot of other bad movies that um, try to address our current uh, tech moment and uh, smartphones and et cetera, et cetera, uh, and kind of adopt this unfortunate Luddite uh, stance on them, uh, Asaius is very smart. He understands that it's just kind of an extension of pre-existing human condition that has been created under late capitalism and this um, kind of, when you stop and look at it, a very strange desire to keep a distance between ourselves and others and keep furthering this distance and that there's some sort of merit to like, uh, you know, hiding labor and hiding emotional connection and trying to be as distant and cut off from the world as possible. Um, and that, you know, text messaging, smartphones, these are all really just extensions of it. Um, but uh, it also runs counter to this interesting uh, mystic uh, story that goes on where uh, Maureen, uh, the aforementioned Maureen, is a, a medium who can speak to ghosts. Um, and it stems from this long tradition of like trying to reach out and trying to access something more. Um, and so these two disparate plot lines uh, come together in a really amazing way. Uh, I love the friction that's produced between them. It can be a very slow, uh, graceful movie at times, but there's like a very abrasive undercurrent that I like a lot. Um, all the performances are great. Uh, it's, it's very sharp. Um, and as like in the abstract is sort of like a filmmaking challenge of like, okay, I've got Kristen Stewart and she's got this Chanel contract and I've like got something going on with like, <laughs> ghosts and like i kind of want to talk about like texting too and like figuring out a way to like weave all of these threads together in a way that's actually like really brilliant and like comes up with a very cohesive smart thesis um i think it's amazing we're all ghosts Great. under capitalism we sure are we sure are <laughs> i'm just walking around being a ghost boy over here um it was so relatable we're all alone. i left and we're never alone <laughs> so we're surrounded by other ghosts yep. but we're still lonely i walked out of that theater and was like oh man that's a bummer that's that's the way i'm living my life right now <laughs> oh bummer <laughs> and then i said oh bummer yeah I think that um, it has been one of the more annoying aspects of the earlier on in the year when uh, everyone complained about the 
plot of like, oh, who's this killer? It's oh, it's the one creepy guy. It's always and the I one creepy like, guy. Maybe it is, but also, <laughs> like, it's also uh, you know, I mean, something that I noticed, especially on rewatching, that like in the same way that uh, many things are distanced from each other, that dude is never in any rooms except for, like, the only person who ever sees him in the movie yeah. is Kristen Stewart. So, like, in a way, like, and the and the mirroring thing when uh, after the, um, uh, she goes up to the room and then there's, like, you know, a ghost leaving and that dude leaving. And yep. I was like, they're both ghosts. As we've already <laughs> said, it's like, you know, like, you can't just be like, oh, it's that dude who's the murderer. It's like, well, maybe he is, but also maybe, maybe he isn't. Maybe... Maybe it was Ooh. the brother. And so I think that, you know, it's, but it's also like the idea that it's kind of doesn't matter, like that this isolation is, uh, it's everywhere and it's all consuming. not in the way. Uh, and, mm-hmm. This is a movie that I like, but don't love and yet feel weirdly uh, like I have to defend it whenever I see a review. Do I like to hear? If someone doesn't like it, I'm like, you didn't give this movie enough credit, and you're done. <laughs> <laughs> Got in a long argument last night. Someone said that uh, the use of Kristen Stewart nudity in this movie was salacious, and I was like, what movie did you watch? <laughs> like I was very thrown by that point. Yeah, that's silly. Um, of all his points, I was like, this nudity is extremely clinical the first time it comes mm-hmm. up, quite literally. Doctor's talking about how she's going to die, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which oh. makes her feel very much like a physical body. And then the second time that it comes up, the way that the cinematography works, where it's moving back and forth between the rooms, sometimes you can't see her, sometimes you can't. I'm like, oh, this is very intrusive mm-hmm. on this person's life and very uncomfortable for me as a viewer. And I feel the same way about that scene that I feel about the murder scene. It's like, oh, I'm not the one who did this violence, but I've partaken in it, haven't I? Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I, uh, I really enjoyed the sound design in this movie. Oh, yeah. Actually. Yeah. Um, especially the parts where she's in the big empty house. And she's walking on the like yeah. creaky wood floors. I was like, "Ooh, this sounds very spooky." Yeah, <laughs> like, it is legitimately spooky, spooky on top of everything else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. People who say they're bored by the texting scenes. I'm like, I don't know what you're afraid of. It's nothing I'm more afraid of than being texted by strangers. <laughs> yeah. Leave me alone. Strangers who know yeah. you very intimately. Yeah. If they were trying to collect bills, it would be the worst possible thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, she's good at texting. Weird strangers. And, uh, I forget who wrote it. I think it was somebody either on Twitter or on Letterboxd, but they accurately pointed out that perhaps one of the worst inventions in terms of uh, the contemporary phone world is the you can see when someone's mm-hmm. typing thing. <laughs> because that generates a really horrible sense of suspense and, and shittiness when you see type, 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 type. And then it stops, yeah. <laughs> or like the, um, I don't know if it still does this, but the scene thing on uh, yeah, you, oh, on yeah, Facebook you Messenger. Can, uh, you can often turn that one off, but the other one you usually can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can turn off read receipts sometimes, or tell the other person to. Good. Okay. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, my number one movie is also very depressing, but somehow a movie that made me feel optimistic. Um, and it's The Salesman, directed by Oscar Farhadi. And I want to talk about the props. <laughs> it's my number one movie of the year. I want to talk about props. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie starts off with these shots of just like furniture hit hit by spotlights. And... Um, it immediately started me thinking on something we talked about in 2014 about the strange little cat and about like the flattening of the film screen and objects and people being the same thing. Um, and I think this movie has somewhat of a similar idea, but kind of like a different, more, and I don't really like this word, but humanist mm. tech. It starts off with objects. It's like, we're going to give objects importance and via giving objects importance, that's going to give characters importance. And via giving characters importance, that's going to give people importance. Via giving people importance, that's going to give art importance. And then finally, it's going to end up with a wider political importance. Um, so there's a lot of dealing with things in this movie in a very specific and emotional way. The most obvious example is the money. The story is about a young couple whose uh, place that they're living um, ends up sort of accidentally getting destroyed while another place is being built next door and they move into this new apartment not knowing that the previous resident was a sex worker and one night um, while the wife is alone she gets assaulted um, by a former client and the client leaves money uh, in the apartment and um, the main character hides it and then at one point they wife accidentally spins it to buy dinner for them and when he realizes what's happened it's just sort of this soul draining scene where everyone gets quiet and he slowly just sort of like packs up the spaghetti that they've been eating and having fun and having a nice dinner um and yeah kind of even though it's like a more depressing version it made me feel some of the same things as faces places where i was like reinvigorated by the potential for realness both in art in this world mm -hmm. I felt very not postmodern about this movie mm. it's very old school in that way like oh I just care about these unlike people on a very basic human level and um, Farhadi has managed to do that in a lot of really smart interesting ways uh, the other scene that I often highlight is the part where they're coming back from the play and the wife is taking off her makeup and it's like a reminder of her playing a role in the movie but also of her being a real person because that's something that she does when she's done shooting the shot for the movie as well she takes off mm. her makeup then <laughs> just like she's pretending yeah. to take her makeup off in the movie um, mm -hmm. I was considering my experience with Farhadi the further I went back the more I liked his movies I was very surprised but happily so it's my Jumping on up. Favorite movie that we've done for these end of the year podcasts. Wow. I was wow. Really mm. summoned mm. by it. <laughs> nice. He's a great drama. The screenplays are always tight. Bless you. Thanks. Oh. <laughs> All right. 
right, well, my Patrick, number one is another documentary about Los Angeles, <laughs> so you know me, like, becoming a homer for L.A., um, but I'm going to read what I wrote about this movie. Um, this untitled film? Yes, this untitled <laughs> film. I'm going to say the title here real, real quick. We'll um, coursing know. through... <laughs> yeah. Coursing through LA-92 is the essence of destruction, in this case specifically of a system. The uprising is a clear response to a system that says to its citizens, we will use the bulwark of civilization to strip you of the right to justice. The most clear response comes from a man torching palm trees, not in a frenzy, but in a calm, methodical way. This is the most sane response to a system which refuses to allow its citizens to have justice for the abuses heaped on them. Burn it to the ground. Authority figures are constantly either ill-informed or actively antagonistic to the people's demands. Those who have bought into the system are forced to watch as the system does nothing to defend them from the uprising it has created. The editing is used like a blunt instrument to pound the audience with images, but never gives them commentary outside the context of the footage, so the resulting effect seems to deny the audience distance from each catastrophe and outrage visited upon the people. So this is my uh, this was my best edited film of the year, and um, it's entirely archival footage of the 1992 uprising following the Rodney King trial. Um, it's directed by T.J. Martin and Daniel Lindsay, and I think it's it's I mean it's my favorite because it very like actively puts together a storyline from without any sort of like outside context or like post context it puts it together from footage of the time it 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 does have like news anchors saying things like commenting on stuff at the time but i do think it always portrays them as either like very misunderstanding the situation or being you know like a lot of it is um daryl gates talking in interviews uh (laughs) before the trial happens and he is like actively antagonistic to people and very horrible and um some either some even with uh, george w bush or not w um hw bush talking about it at the time of course he was the president and him like very clearly misunderstanding the situation as well and and you know in his own way being antagonistic to the people and uh in some cases just just citizens themselves being antagonistic to one another um there's a scene of a of a old man you know wearing sort of a like i support the police shirt outside the rodney king trial having an argument with a with a black man outside of the trial um or outside of the courthouse and uh it's you know you can see right then and there like the the dividing line of like what it's all really about like it's very clearly about race and it's about people who have bought into the system and the idea that the police are always right and you know you can never say that they're wrong in doing something like this and i also think that it's uh very interesting that they show the rodney king um interview in full because there's a lot of things that i think people misremember about the way that that interview plays out and they always, you know, I guess he kind of got used as a punchline at the time of being like, can't we all get along? But there's a lot more things that he says in that interview that, you know, show that he, even him himself, like, kind of misunderstands what's going on. And he doesn't fully grasp the situation. And, 
you know, the way that it's affecting everyone at the time. And I think that it's, it's a really incredibly well edited piece. Um, in particular, there's a, there's a sequence, um, and I, I should give context for this. I actually saw this at um, a screening at USC with both directors there in attendance. So they actually talked about this sequence in the film, but immediately following the trial, there's a sequence that's sort of just like this, it, it's, it's almost put together the way an action scene is put together, but of stuff just happening really fast in rapid succession. Um, you know, people just storming the uh, area around the, I guess like the big police precinct and, you know, setting things on fire and things just like spiraling out of control really fast. Um, and it's, it's one of the most like thrilling sequences that I've seen, uh, you know, in, in a, I guess like non constructed action film, but constructed mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, documentaries are constructed. And I just, I really enjoyed it. It really hit me hard. Um, and it's my favorite movie of this year. I'm excited to watch Likewise. it now. Yeah. Yeah. I always watch everything that makes the top 10 that I haven't seen. So I will watch it. And yeah. I hope I like it. I like the title. Put it on the list. I like the, co yeah. I like the cover. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good start. I like the subject matter. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, sounds like something three, I would like. Three for three so far. <laughs> yeah, okay. I know everybody, everybody ended up not liking my number right. one from last year. <laughs> 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 I was very alone That's, on that island. I, I dev, I've true never true watched that well. one. <laughs> no one liked my number one of last year either. I thought it was. Okay. What was your number one? Except for Ilya. Except for Ilya. Yeah, Ilya Oh, yes. oh, La La Land, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks for listening, everybody, especially if you've listened to, wow. well, any of them, but all, <laughs> all of them. Oh, my God. <laughs> any or all of it. You're a, a loose cannon to fight. Yeah, we appreciate it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, look forward to regular podcasts returning soon, as well as other other type things, movies, uh, videos, mm -hmm. uh, writings. Now that we don't have to do this, we have time to dedicate to other projects. So. Like watching a bunch of 2018 uh, yeah. movies. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going to do after this. I'm going to go eat lunch, going to see the best movie of 2018, The Commuter. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try and watch it tomorrow, too. Get that yeah, number one out of the way <laughs> real quick. Everyone's having a very nice commuter weekend. <laughs> I hope so, it's really just about how commuting, you know, just sucks the life out of you really slowly and like over a long period of time. I think it's about that, but metaphorically. Ooh. Yeah, and how and how he doesn't really stand up for old people anymore. He just like stays on his seat and whatever. Doesn't look well, them in the eye. I hope, I hope it's about how we need <laughs> to improve our public transportation so that we no longer have to own our own cars. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh, subscribe using your podcast listening application. Check out all that content that I mentioned on loosecannons.net and give us a five star rating and review on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Happy New Year. Happy Bye. New Year. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>